episode 260 of Mitch Unfiltered, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hello. Really? Area code 260, I'll have you know. You know anything about Fort Wayne, Indiana? I feel like I should. That sounds familiar, Fort uh, Wayne. Is somebody from there that we know? Or? Yeah, well, there's a few that you wouldn't. You wouldn't know until I told you, but you'll okay. recognize it. Do you remember the name Eric Wedge? Eric Former Wedge. Mariners manager oh, Eric Wedge? <laughs> yes, of course. Right? The Eric Wedge era oh, in Seattle? Delightful He's time. from Fort Wayne, Indiana. All right. Did you ever watch The Office? Oh, sure, yeah. Jenna Fisher? Oh, like Do you her. like Jenna sure. Fisher? Yeah. She's from Fort Wayne, oh, Indiana. Okay. And then this name, you'll know the name, but you won't remember because you're not old enough to remember. I'm barely old enough to remember. Okay. Sportscaster Chris Schenkel. <laughs> it doesn't you do remember? much for me, no. Chris Schenkel was <laughs> from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mike Gastineau also from... No, no I he's know. not <laughs> from Fort Wayne. I don't know where Indiana. he's from. No. <laughs> He is not from Chris Shankle doesn't sound familiar. Episode 260. Yep. Was it a hold <laughs> or was it not a hold to call uh, it or uh. not to call it? What do you think? I feel like we did our best show before the show started sitting in your room up here. <laughs> we did. I, I pissed people off on Twitter. I said I've seen less egregious hold calls called. Oh, and people are ready to kill me on Twitter. Oh, I think it could that. have definitely be called. Yes. I could. think it definitely could have been called. I mean, isn't it clear? Haven't you heard a million times when you get the hands on the outside? Yes. Right? That's, that's it was the rule. Super, it was razor close. I mean. It was razor close. And had it been called, no one would have batted an eye around the right. country had it been called. Now, I think where you and I disagree, and people didn't hear this because we weren't recording at the time, you really came down hard on DK Metcalf. I don't have any pro- I mean, I have a lot of problems with DK Metcalf's behavior. Yeah. Over the course of the season and what have you. And last season. And the one before There you that. go. I don't have any problem with the way he tried to block the guy to try to spring his wide receiver loose. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have any problem. Now, I, I'm with you. I was waiting for a flag. Yep. I was moderately surprised because they had flagged Seattle for everything the entire day. That's right. I was moderately surprised that he didn't draw a flag. Automatic I don't, first down. <laughs> Does anybody do that better? <laughs> do you want to hear that again? Automatic. That's first an automatic first down. After a third down stop. Every time oh, after a third down stop. Can't take it anymore. I swear to God, since Pete Carroll got here, <laughs> if somebody measured that, if pro yeah. football focus yeah. measured teams <laughs> that give up automatic first down penalties after they stop the other oh, team, God. no one does it better than Pete Carroll's teams every single year. There's probably 40 that we forgot about that we'd be like, oh, I remember that. I remember There's there's probably oh at least 40. There were, were like three on Sunday, were there not four? <laughs> right. How I many know. illegal hands to the oh, face uh, are we going to see after they stop them on third down? The P.I. That's a I first know. down. Yes. Oh, my God. I know. But, but you, yeah. you thought... DK was being a jackass the way he blocked that play that sprung Smith and Jigba into the end zone. I mean, jackass is a little hard. I, okay. I, I feel like he almost blew it again. I feel like it was almost another boneheaded decision by him by getting his hands but on the, the way outside. You say, you say that as if he could have scored had he not done what he'd done. I that he was going to score either way. That's what That's the inference that you're giving me. And I don't think that that's right. I think he scores... Because the guy that DK is 
blocking or holding, yeah, the is one. not able to get free. That's the reason why the wide receiver scores the go-ahead touchdown. Well, Browns fans wouldn't want to hear that then. He only scored because he was held. If he doesn't grab him at all, and there's holding on every play. We know that. We all agree it's on that. It's just yes. a question of whether the – it's so subjective. Yep. Is the is the official going to call it or is he not <laughs> yeah. going to call it? Is she not going to call it? I don't know if it was a he or she. I'm just saying that – I think in that situation, DK, I don't have any gripes hmm. with DK riding the fine line of a hold or a not hold and and essentially daring the official, go ahead, call this. Yeah. Call this on me and take away our go-ahead touchdown. Would you feel the same way had they have called it? No. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. To me, he doesn't have to hold him. To me, if he just turns his hips, yeah. faces the sideline that's furthest away, yeah. Just if you put your hands in your pockets and just acted as a wall, I think he scores. I don't think you have to even risk it. Just get your hips turned and make him have to go through you. Pete Carroll said after the oh. game, I watched the press conference. Pete Carroll said after the game in yeah. no uncertain tar- terms that DK Metcalf's block was absolutely picture perfect. It's exactly the way they teach it. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the way you draw it up. He released at exactly the right time. It's funny because he says he released, which... (laughs) Released from what? (laughs) By the way, that's the way Pete Carroll draws it up. I don't know if that's how everyone draws it up. I don't know. I just got to be careful with your hands on the outside. I have a lot of trouble with a lot of the things that DK Metcalf does and now says. I had no problem. Had he been called for holding? You're asking me right now. Mitch, what would you have said on this podcast if the flag came out and he had been held? I would have been a little angry, but I would have said it could have gone either way and he wasn't going to score if DK didn't do what he did. The guy was not going to score. Yeah. So that's the way I would have felt. As somebody who coached offense and coached running backs, no one loves receivers blocking more than me. Because they don't always do it. Trust me. You're a coach. Receivers don't. Did you just drop that in? You're a a highfalutin coach. Receivers Turns out, don't love blocking. Right. So when I see one going for it and blocking downfield, it does make me happy. I appreciate the effort. Just keep the hands. In a game where they couldn't stop throwing flags, why are we poking the bear one more time by getting your hands on the outside like that? Why? Why bother doing that? It makes me crazy. Mm. We've all heard that, right? Yeah. The, the as soon as the hands to, oh. get outside the shoulder pads. If you get them inside, you can hide it. You you can't tell if you're grabbing or not. Yeah. It's like, when are we going to learn? Yeah. There's me shitting on the Seahawks big win, but I'm not. I'm happy they won, but I see why Browns fans have a right to be pissed off by that. Yeah. You agree? That yeah. was a big yeah, play. I, I can I can, I can, can definitely say that if the roles were reversed and it was my team, oh. yeah, I would not have liked the if fact Jamal that they, Adams was getting held like that when he could have made the play, that would have really stung. Great block by DK. <laughs> hey, man. They scored and they won and they're five and two in first place. Episode 260, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Episode 260 of Mitch Unfiltered is available everywhere on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. Listen, rate us, review us, hopefully give us a five star. It really, really helps those types of ratings and reviews. If you'd like more regular, shorter shows, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at MitchUnfiltered.com. $5 a month gets you our 
Four shows each week, soon to be five. Peace show with Danny O'Neill, shooting the shit with Slick, around the NFL with Randy Mueller, the Seahawks no table that we do twice a week, mm-hmm. once on this show, and then the preview show for each week's game, which comes out on Friday. If you'd like to become a Mitch Unfiltered and get all those shows, it just costs $5 a month. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com and become a patron. If the five bucks is a legitimate problem, as I like to say, just contact me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I will get you set up because we don't want finances getting in the way of people being able to enjoy the show. Yep. Beat the boys. Week nine is coming. Are you checking the standings? Because I'm afraid to. I don't even look. I don't either. I haven't looked since it started because I, I don't know. Well, I'm I got not doing really great. bad news over the weekend, and now I'm really... I'm really fretting the news. Oh, no. My son, Max, who was our leader, the one that was saving us prizes, said he didn't get his picks in this week. What is he, me all of a sudden? So he goes 0 for 3. Our our brightest shining light goes 0 for 3. So that means everybody's going to gain ground on us. And I think I got all of them wrong again this week. (laughs) I I can't get one right. It's literally a coin flip. (laughs) And you go 0 and 3. Because it's, I pick these games. I'm the guy who picks these games. I should pick some easier ones. It's unbelievable. Beat the Boys Week 9 is coming up. So I owe you three games and a password for this week. The games are in Germany, mm. Dolphins versus Chiefs. Oh, okay. Good one. Chiefs off a loss to Russell Wilson right out of the Waffle House. And the uh, the Dolphins off a win over the New England Patriots. Both teams six and two. They face off in Germany this weekend, and that is game number one on the Beat the Boys competition. Game number two, the Seahawks at the Ravens. Hmm. Okay. As their battle with the the AFC North continues, I got my pick in for that one already. And game number three <laughs> is the Rams at the Packers. Oh. A hell of a game two years ago. Password, Matthew Perry. Okay. All one word, all lower caps, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-P-E-R-R-Y. I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, but boy, my wife took that one hard. Well, how are we all not taking that hard? Yeah. 54 years old after all that he's been through? Yeah. Do we know what happened? They found him in the jacuzzi or something? Played pickleball for two hours. Sent his assistant to go pick up a new iPhone or oh something. Oh, my God. Got in the hot tub, something he clearly loved doing because he sent out an Instagram post a week earlier. of His last Instagram post, coincidentally, was him in a hot tub, in yeah. that hot tub, uh-huh. talking about how much he loved it. And then, yeah, there's no foul play Cardiac suspected. arrest? Potentially, they, they didn't find any drugs that weren't prescription. That guy has been to hell and back yeah. emotionally, drug-wise. What yeah. a vicious battle. A lot of demons. 15 times in, uh, in rehab? Yeah. That guy was a true fighter and survivor, and then to go out like this, 54 years old. Oh, awful. Anyway, guests on this episode 260. We will have the Seahawks no table. We will ask them, did DK hold? Did DK not hold? I will ask Brady. I will ask Brian. Would you have thrown the flag? You are saying right here and right now, if you were an official with no skin in the game, you didn't have a bet on the game. (laughs) That matters. You would have thrown the hanky. I mean, I think you have to. Yeah, his hands are outside. They call that all the time. It's holding. And he's so strong. So what's the reason why they didn't call it? 
Why don't they call it on Talk every play? Talk to the official. <laughs> Why, I mean, don't ask me. Ask the refs. I have a lot of questions about officiating in the NFL. So that's just another one of them. I don't know. It's a great question. Seahawks and O-Table, Nemhauser and Henderson. Neuheisel on another struggle for your beloved Washington Huskies. I don't know what to think. We'll start the show with the Seahawks and them when we get to segment one here in a minute. Uh, this time with Stanford. And guess number three. I even cleared this with you before I did it. Oh, good. Author Matt Singer, critically acclaimed brand new book called Opposable Thumbs. How Siskel and Ebert changed movies forever. Wow. Brand new book out. Can't wait. And we had like a 20-minute conversation. And I don't know, as I was doing it, I was like, I am having so much fun discussing (laughs) Siskel and Ebert, and yet I'm not Mm. sure anybody who listens to this will enjoy this one iota. But I am having a hell of a time. I'm having a blast. I think people are going to love it. That was such a big part of most of our lives. How old do you have to be, though? I mean, to know who Siskel and Ebert was on in the eighties and like early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time ago. Oh, it is. You're okay. an alt-a-cocker. <laughs> I don't now, know. Now, if you're right about, oh, I've been to our events. I've seen our, our listeners. Boy, it ain't no cube 93 event. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But yes, go ahead. And we have a good shot. <laughs> we have a shot. Yes. I think, I think we most do. of those listeners were around when Siskel and Ebert. Were I around. would agree with you. Yes. I, I'm a big fan myself, so I can't wait to hear this. I was strangely fascinated. Yeah. With Siskel and Ebert. I'm not even sure why. When I was a kid growing up, when they were on, I would like stop everything I was doing when Siskel and Ebert were on. I have, the movies. I'm not even that big of a movie buff. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know what it was about them. Yeah, sure. And that's kind of the, the, the whole thing behind the book. What made Siskel, these two guys in sweaters that didn't look the part of TV stars. These guys were huge, huge, huge stars in the 80s and 90s. And it felt like, it felt like Gene Siskel was, a, I don't know how to say it. It looked like Ebert just loved going to the movies. Like Ebert could give Raiders of the Lost Ark a thumbs up. And even though it's not a critically acclaimed movie, right? He just felt like he loved going to the movies. And if he had a good time, thumbs up. Because he looked like he liked popcorn. Well, that too, yes. (laughs) A buttery popcorn. But Siskel (laughs) felt like such a hard ass on movies. I mean, God, they were so opposite to me. Oh, that's why we like them. I've since gone back the past few years on YouTube. Yeah. Like I'll get in my head. Ooh, Casino. I love Casino. Let's see what those two thought about it. I, I like to see how things age, with how their opinion ages. Yeah. And, of course, Siskel thought Casino wasn't great, and Ebert was shocked that he didn't think it was great. And I, So I'm fascinated with them, too. I love it. I watched them every week, and I went about 20 years without knowing which one was Roger Ebert <laughs> and which one was Gene Siskel. I can see that. And I actually <laughs> had this conversation with the author before we started the interview. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I, I was going to ask you whether anybody was like me that couldn't remember which one was Roger Ebert, which one was Gene Siskel. And the author said, I, I've never heard that, really. And I said to him, well, then I won't ask it on the show. But I, I went literally 20, 25 years. And I think it's because I had a, a childhood friend. I no, you say, didn't. I had a childhood friend okay. who I wouldn't say he looked exactly like Gene Siskel. Okay. okay. But he looked similar to Gene. He's Sisko. losing his hair as a kid. No, no, no. Oh, he was right. a younger version. All right. He looked similar to Gene Siskel. He had a similar look to Gene Siskel. Okay. And his name's Roger. Oh yeah, well. That and so I confusing. always thought Roger Ebert was Gene, and Gene was Roger. Anyway, Matt it was just Singer. Siskel and Ebert, and you didn't really know, and they just bickered. And when you're a kid, you oh didn't my really god. Know. And, and the- then I and then I watched to get ready for the interview the the infamous Johnny Carson show. Where the two of them are on there, and yeah. Chevy Chase is, and and Gene Siskel turns to Chevy Chase and says, 
I can't recommend this movie that you're promoting. <laughs> I, I don't like it. It's no good. <laughs> See? Two th- I, I mean, the, the, the how many people I could know. sit there on Johnny Carson and look Chevy Chase in the eye and say, it's not good. Who was a monster star at the time, Chevy yeah. Chase. Like yeah. A-list, yeah. big-time star. I, I can't recommend it. Sorry. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen that. And he was not joking. No, he wasn't. He took his credibility seriously. Yes, like his whole life was his yes. credibility. Yeah. So he's not going to just suck up the Chevy Chase for a, was it Three Amigos? What was the movie? There were Three Amigos. Which I love, but that ain't no good movie. So <laughs> I get Siskel not raving over it. The two of them. So fun. I can't wait to hear this interview. Uh, anyway, guess on this episode 260, Seahawks no table, Seahawks clip the Browns, new highs on. What's wrong with the dogs and the the rest of the national scene with the brand new college football poll coming out? And Matt Singer, the author of Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever. Before we officially begin episode 260, a word from our partners like Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, football season, pizza season at Zeke's. Specials every football game day. That's Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays at all Zeke's locations. $10 off all orders, $40 or more at all locations. All you got to do is use the code PIGSKIN10, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of Beat the Boys, Week 9 Password, Matthew Perry, all lowercase, all one word, a thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner, and everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out new fireplaces or garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage, my family beginning the conversations about downsizing with our youngest graduating high school this year. It's great to have Jordan Flowers on my team. I'm in good hands. 425-890-2957 for all your mortgage needs. 425-890-2957. Daniel's Broiler. Here comes Thanksgiving. Bellevue's almost sold out. Les Shy is opening an incredible remodel in time for Thanksgiving Day. And the downtown location has a $75 all-you-can-eat buffet. No better place to celebrate special occasions. Daniel's Broiler. You gotta love them. World-class steakhouses. This is episode 260 of Mitch Unfiltered. And it begins... Right now, unfiltered. You're saying that if Washington and Oregon happen to play one more time where Washington's undefeated, where they both went out from here on in, yep. the game at Washington, we spent four hours <laughs> pulling our hair out. Unfiltered. A great defense, if it's a great defense, hides a lot of warts. And if you tell me that our concerns right now are the offense, yeah. is Gino going to get it done? Are they going to score in the red zone? Are they going to fix whatever ails them, right? Yep. I'm kind of liking feeling that way. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 260 is now officially underway. Do you want to start with the Huskies or you want to finish up a little bit of Seattle Seahawks talk about the win over the Browns outside of the holding? 
And then we'll let the Seahawks no table pick up the pieces from there. Which would you like to do? I just want to know if you made it through Britney Spears' new book that dropped Tuesday. Are you done with that yet? No, or are you uh... I know that there is a new book. <laughs> you're not gonna get you're not gonna read that book, are you? No. <laughs> I don't read books. I know who does. Who read books? Now, if if you listen to an audiobook, yeah. do, do you then tell people you read it or do you admit... No, I don't listen to audiobooks, so it doesn't matter. You don't do that either. No, I don't do that. Not interested. There's probably some golf tournament on from Taiwan. No, that I mean, you need when to am I going to wa- when am I going to listen to an audio? I don't know when you're in your car, maybe, or when you yeah. But how far or... am I going? <laughs> okay, never mind. Audiobook was a bad idea. Now, what <laughs> Slickhawk told me that he's now going to be a voice of audiobooks. Really? Yeah, he's that's gonna... a good gig. But I thought like when Britney Spears comes out with a book, she does the audio. Oftentimes, the authors do it. Yes. I don't want to hear from Slickhawk reading Britney Spears' book. <laughs> I love Slickhawk, but I want to hear Britney Spears sure. do her own book. Until you hear her read. Could be a disaster. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Maybe she wrote it, though. Maybe there's a reason they hire people to, to Writing and reading ain't the same. All right, random out. observations on the Seahawks win over the Cleveland Browns. Are you ready? I'll just give you give random me. observations. Yep. Throwback uniforms. Oh, God. If I have to hear about how great they look for one more time, I'm going to end it. Why do adults get so horny about fucking uniforms? Really? You didn't like oh, them? You didn't care? It's not that I didn't like them. I just... Whatever. People can't stop talking about it. I'm not a uniform Shut the guy. F up. I thought it was great. Okay, it's cool, but it's been going on for like a week. And the, the announcers, oh, right, it looks so good. What did you think? Did you love it? Were you love them. In awe the whole love time them. going, in oh. fact, In fact, Jesus. I watch a lot of football down there in that room. And I love their uniforms. And I loved... Oh, have you seen the highlights of the Tennessee Titans game Mm-mm. from Sunday? Oh, my God. Is it what, Steelers? No. No, the Tennessee Titans played uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. They were wearing the old Houston Oiler powder blues from the 1970s. And the Earl Camp, remember the oh, Earl sure, Camp? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They were Ward gorgeous. Moon used they to wear those. Gorge- gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> oh, she my was God. Gorgeous. And my, and my team was wearing their white throwbacks. In Miami yeah. on Sunday against the Patriots. So you had about two or three teams wearing just beautiful throwback uniforms. But if you don't want me to discuss it, I won't. Please discuss it. it. No, Tell I, me. I have nothing more to say. I, just, I really like it. I want them to wear them again. I really like them. Did it feel like they were a little shinier maybe than the original? Original felt a little little matte. You know, like not, I, wasn't exactly, but it was cool to it see. It was close. Yeah, it, it was, was, it was it very was, close. It was close enough. Oh, they couldn't stop talking about it. Okay, we get it. It's cool. It looks like what Dave Craig used to wear. Can we all move on, please? Okay. Jesus. When people are celebrating the close call victory of the Seattle Seahawks, I want you to remember a couple things. Okay. Number one, as of the moment that you and I sit here and record episode 260, you do know that if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about. Your Seattle Seahawks would be NFC West champs and the number two seed in the NFC. Just, I'm just saying. I feel like I'm going to be a real negative curmudgeon this episode. (laughs) I don't want to be. I'm happy they would. Maybe because Piper's team didn't do great this weekend and I'm just in a shit mood. (laughs) Should we be having more fun at five and two? I mean, should this feel more fun to Seahawks fans or is this great? Is this awesome and... We think they're going to make a big run in the playoffs. You you tell me how to feel. I'm done feeling for myself. I would say to you, yeah, five and two should feel better than it does. Okay. But I would also say to you, does it really matter? Yeah. Whether it feels great. Let's say they were five and two and they were the most stylish five wins that looked great and you were having loads of fun. 56 nothing, just Whatever. murdering people. What, whatever. Yeah. 
Let's say you were having loads of fun okay. and DK wasn't holding and the Seahawks <laughs> were winning and they were winning glamorously. Gino looked awesome. I would say the same thing to you because I used to say this on KJR. It's the eighth week of the season. They're five and two. What they look like now, good or bad, doesn't mean shit. Yeah, you didn't say that on KJR. It doesn't mean <laughs> shit. Right. Scott, I'm telling you, You're it right. doesn't. You're it right. doesn't. You're right. The only thing that matters on January, whatever it is, fifth, sixth, second, third, whatever it is, how many wins do you have? Yeah. Where do you qualify? And how are you playing right then and yep. there? That's the only thing that matters. You're right. So, yes, should it feel better? Yeah. <laughs> Are they are they doing it a little bit with mirrors? Are they fortunate to be five and two? Yes. Do they have some some problems offensively that need to be corrected? Yes, which we can talk about. But the truth is, just win games at this portion of the season because they could look like the eighty five Bears right now through eight weeks, right, and then look like a schlock team in, in two months from now. Right. It doesn't really matter. In week it 18, matter. when it kicks off, that's doesn't it matter. Matters, yeah. And what, what makes what I'm saying even more important is if you take a step back, take your Seahawk hat off, even if it's a throwback, take it off. <laughs> okay. Grown men so horny about uniforms. Okay. Jesus. Take off your Seahawks hat. If you just look at this team, Look, I'm going to make no guarantees that they're going to be great in two months and they're going to be a lot better and it's going to be a lot less painful than it is for you right now. Can't you take a step back and say, all right, yeah, were they as good defensively this week as they were the last three weeks? No, but there were some good things on defense. They turned them over. They got yeah. after the quarterback. Yeah. They're pounding the guy. They're deflecting balls. Okay, yeah. it wasn't as good a defensive performance, but, but can't you take a step back and say, my goodness, with a little bit of good fortune and health in two months from now, that defense, couldn't that defense be at worst solid? Couldn't that defense be top 10, top 12 in the league? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now you flip to the offense, which everybody's freaking out about. And I'll just say this to all you people that are freaking out about the offense. Yes. Geno Smith is struggling at times. There's no question. He's making some bad throws and some bad decisions. He's also making some good ones. I would contend that the play that he made early in the game when he got away from pressure and then lofted that ball, that might have been the best, yes, that might have been the best Geno Smith play I've ever seen him make. I, I am with you. I could not believe that play. That was that a play. gorgeous play, right? Yeah, unbelievable. Okay. Not not scripted, backyard, perfect toss. Yeah. Everybody this week in Seahawks land is going to be going, what's wrong with the offense? Oh, Geno's no good. They Seven straight possessions in the second half without Hardly a first down. It was terrible, right? Yep. Just remember that. Here's your fact. The Cleveland Browns coming into this game on Sunday, their defense was giving up how many yards per game on average? I don't know. Take a guess. Their defense? Giving uh, up how many total yards? In 2023, where yeah. offenses are just throwing the hell out of the ball yeah. and moving the ball left and right, and all the all the rules are designed to help the offenses out. How many yards were opposing teams averaging total yards, rushing and passing against the Cleveland Browns? 325. It's a great guess. Thank you. It's wrong, but it was a great guess. Okay. They are averaging, giving up 243 yards per Wow. Game. It's impressive. That ain't 243 much. 243 yards. Yeah. 
The Seahawks, with their seven bad possessions in a row and their struggling offense, had 362 yards against a team that's number one. Not only are they number one in the league giving up 243 a game, number two in the league is giving up 271. That's 28 yards difference. Now you'd say 28 yards. That's 12%. They're 12% better going into the game than number two in the NFL, San Francisco, whoever that is. 243 a game, and the offense that we are going to be all week wondering what the hell had 362 against them. Okay. Feeling good? That's 120 yards more than they give up a game. That's right. And it felt like it sucked. Right. Right? Right. Now, maybe you'd say, well, because all of that was in the first half and they, they struggled in the second half, whatever. I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah. And I'm just saying. For, for that to be the Seahawks, quote, problem, it feels like a problem that's very fixable. And that's going back to the original point that I got off of, which is, if you take your Seahawks hat off and you're just a, an NFL onlooker, you can look at the Seahawks team and say, all right, five and two, they don't deserve to be five and two. Well, you know what? They could have won the Bengals game and they could be six and one too. Yeah. All right. There's games that could have gone both ways. You can play that game any right. way you want, but you can look at this team, unlike previous year's Seahawks teams. And this is why I'm intrigued. I'm super intrigued. You can look at this team and say, could they fix some things offensively? Do they have talent offensively? Could DK and Geno get on the on the same page maybe in the next 10 weeks? Could their offensive line get healthy? Yeah. Could they get their right tackle back in the next 10 weeks and he starts playing like he played last year? And on defense, are they on the come or are they, are they way up or on the way down yeah. the defense? Again, this is super, to me, super interesting. I am not... A hardy har har guy like oh it should be better they should we should be having more fun because a it doesn't matter now yeah good or bad and b I can look at this team and see there is a chance now you need good luck you need good fortune because injuries are going to play a huge role you already lost Nwosu let's see what they do with the trading deadline yeah the trading deadline is Halloween it's uh, we're releasing this on a Monday oh, the wow. following day is the trading deadline they may go out and get somebody I just think this team at five and two even with struggles very interesting it's a good point that you make about yes if their problem is the offense well we were all pretty certain it was going to be a really good offense do so you like Ken Walker that's right yeah do you like Charbonnet? Charbonnet looks to me great. Yeah, Ten yards a carry or looks something. Looks to me yeah. great. Even even Ken Walker, I know a lot of it was on that one run at the very beginning, but he was eight yards a carry. Charbonnet was ten yards a carry against the Browns. Yep. You kind of like DK if he can get his head on straight. You kind of like Tyler Lockett, yeah. even though you're not a huge fan. You got you like their tight. <laughs> you like their tight ends. Yeah. I wish they'd use them more, but yes, and not jump off false start. But yes, for the most part, we like the tight ends. So could this offense yeah. rev up? I mean, what if they did offensively the opposite of what they did last year? Remember last year, the first nine games, they were incredibly good. I think and they there were was the talk about three. Gino being the MVP candidate. Talk about Gino being the MVP. <laughs> when they went to Germany or wherever they went oh. to face Tom Brady and Gino's picture was on the side of the building, yeah. he was the number one rated quarterback in the NFL and they were hum they were throwing up 20, there was like 30 a game, 35 a game. Yeah. And then things turned in the second half. Well, what if I told you it's the flip-flop this year? Mm that they rev up in the second half with yeah. that defense. 
Yeah, if you can play five and two with your offense not playing great every week. Sputtering. And yeah. they're going to play a lot better teams. They're playing, you know, Cleveland's probably not as good as four and two. And they're good on defense, not yeah. really good on offense. And I'm not making any guarantees. I'm just saying it. I, I find the whole Seahawks storyline very interesting. Some of the things I don't like, I'm sick and tired of rooting for a team that's first in the league in penalties. Oh, it's so frustrating. I, 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 I can't. I can't tell you. I don't know that there's three more frustrating things in sports yeah. than when your team's defense gets off the field and then they they cut to the official saying, illegal hands in the face, yeah. you know, illegal block downfield, pass interference, defensive holding. I mean, I just I, – I, Watching Pete Carroll's team, it's like it's, it's the, written somewhere in stone. They've got to be the most penalized team in the NFL yep. every year. And, and I'm it's, tired of it. It's always, I can't watch it. I get tired watch. of watching it. It's always the same like indignant look on Pete's face. Like he's shocked that they would get called for something. Like, what? That really happened? Kind yeah. of look on his face. Yeah. What are you, why are you shocked at this part? You love penalties. Well, they almost got one more penalty. They sure almost they did. They didn't get it, and they won the game as a result. So I would say I'm tired of that. Okay. I know I'm going to repeat something that I've said a million times, but I'm going to keep repeating it until it changes, and that probably will be after I'm long gone. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Gone. I already know. I think watching half the teams, know. Watching the Cleveland Browns yeah. on Sunday screen pass the Seahawks <laughs> to it. freaking death. Yeah. Screens to running backs, screens to receivers, screens to tight ends. They ran that same screen to the tight end and Joku like two or three times and it went for like 30 yards every time to watch your team A, not be able to defend a screen pass and B, not be able to run a screen pass on offense. Yeah. You can't run one and you can't stop one. <laughs> Oh my God! I'm gonna throw myself out the second floor of this it's, building. It's right a now. double killer for you. I can't watch it. <laughs> when, when oh it, my God! They ran three. I think they ran three screen passes in a row on that one drive that they went right. down and scored. And I actually thought of you. I thought about you watching the oh. screen, knowing how much you love a nice screen pass on offense. Oh. Watching it against the team that you're rooting for is torture. Oh. Yeah. I will tell you that the biggest disappointment that I had about Sunday was their defense against the run. I was I was irritated watching Cleveland hand the ball up the middle and get five, six yards seemingly every time they, they ran the ball right at the Seattle Seahawks defense. I, I, I thought that the Seahawks would do a better job defensively against the run than they did against Cleveland. And it felt like it was the story of the game. Like if they had lost that game, I'd be on here talking about, A, the seven possessions in a row the Seahawks couldn't score, but I'd also be talking about how it seemed like the Browns were in second and four, second and three, yeah, second right. and five. When the Seahawks were always in, it felt like second after a false start penalty by Will Disley or somebody, you're in second and 10, you're in second and 15, and then everybody knows what you have to do. And it almost felt worse when the Browns were second and three because oftentimes the running back just sort of tripped forward. Yeah. It felt like kind of went down on his like right. got shoestring tackled. Like right. was that right. close to breaking it? Right. Yeah, it so felt very easy up I, the middle. I, I, yeah. And they've been much better up until now against the run than they were on Sunday against Cleveland. I just hope that's an aberration. Is that a good running team, Cleveland? I mean, I, yeah, well, they're one of the best running teams in the okay, league. Okay. So we can live, we can yeah, sleep a little bit better. I don't know why they are, though. They've got Ethan Posick playing center, the guy that I've been crapping on for years. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't want Ethan Posick coming no. in here and, and hurting you. So I wish that 
the Seahawks were better against the run on Sunday. But you're getting sacks the past few weeks. They are generating. Uh, they are generating pass pressure. They're getting in on quarterbacks. And I thought PJ Walker, under the circumstances, had a pretty good day on Sunday. Pretty impressive. But uh, yeah, I just I've got a good feel about the Seahawks defense for the first time in years. Hmm. Yeah, we years talked about, and years and years. We talked about Jordan Brooks last week, and I kind of want to say the same thing this week. He just looks like a really great Came NFL linebacker. Came in on linebacker. that blitz. Yeah. Beast. Had a sack, forced a fumble. Love him. They just seem to be running around making plays, the Seahawks defense. I don't know if it's Witherspoon. I don't know if it's Jamal Adams. I don't know if it's Brooks. It's maybe a combination of all of Probably, them. Probably, yeah. There seems to be a team defensive energy and speed. A swagger, that's too, a bit. Been, yeah, that's and been finger missing. Finger-waving and... But penalties <laughs> i know i just you don't have to stick your hand what what good is it why do you have to stick the guy in his in his face mask when he comes off the line just stick him in his chest you're not going to get Please. an answer out of me i have no answers for why all the penalties it starts at the top though there's never any sort of punishment that's or any consequences the that's the way he so does with the good come the bad right that's it. You, you get the free that's it gunslinging that's it Richard Sherman. People talking stopped shit. talking about this years that's ago right, because, because that's the Pete Carroll way. That's right. If it was Bill Parcells, you'd have way less penalties. Correct. Right. Correct. But they'd be kind of boring and they wouldn't have that maybe. swagger. Maybe. They, maybe they won a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Too. It would just but be a different style. I get it. People have been saying for years, yeah. look, Mitch, stop talking about it because that's. Yep. That's what you get with the, the head coach. Yep. So. OK. I'll stop talking about Sounds it. Sounds good. Sort of. The $64,000 question, though, is... I have no answer. Are the Washington Huskies in trouble? Or are they just playing down to their opponents? I've heard all of the explanations. I, <laughs> I posed this on Twitter, and I've gotten... They're being intentionally vanilla on offense because they're playing lesser teams and they don't want to show people it. I thought you'd do that in, in like, exhibition game football. I didn't know you'd do that in the middle of the season when you're, like in jeopardy of losing a Pac-12 football game. But I, I've gotten a lot of Husky fans tweeting at me, Mitch, you don't get it. They just don't want to show anything. They're oh. just, they've they've dumbed down the offense. They're not doing oh, good. They're okay. not, they're, they're not trying to be explosive. Oh, they could have put elaborate. 60 up, but they didn't want they to. They don't want to. I got it. They I don't want to like show. Like Ichiro could hit a home run every time. They don't want to show USC and Oregon State oh, and I Washington State and Utah. Oh, good. They don't want to show them their full arsenal. So they're, they're being vanilla like you do in like the NFL teams do in exhibition football. I've that's been a Husky fan my whole life, but that sounds like some real purple colored glasses. Husky <laughs> or shit right there. I've also I heard mean, I've also heard the flu has been making the rounds. Have I mean, maybe that one. But did Penix seem healthy in the press conference? He was sniffling. And I didn't see the press. Conference. And he didn't look right. And he even said, really? he, goes, he goes, I had something early in the week. I, I didn't feel the great. Flu, in the first the half. stomach bug. He did not look right. in that second. Are in, they in, in trouble? We all can agree this. Even the people that are looking through purple shaded glasses yeah. can agree with me on this. If they play like they've played the last two weeks against their next four opponents, oh yeah, they will literally win zero of. They will go oh and forget perfect seasons and oh yeah and and college football playoffs and Rose Bowls and whatever. They'll be playing in the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Okay? Right. <laughs> they will lose all four. They will figure a way to go like seven, eight, and four, seven, and four. If they play anything like they've played the last two weeks yep. against USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, they are losing all four of That's them. That's right. Yep. Okay. Now, I don't think that that'll happen. I don't think they'll play. But 
I'm just wondering what's what's going on now. This is two weeks where they've played an outmanned opponent, and we all have stressed as to whether they're going to win the football game. That's right. Yeah. I, I don't have the answer. I wish I did. I don't think anyone has the answer. I They look like they're playing down to their opponent. Maybe they're not motivated. Maybe that Oregon game took so much out of them. Maybe they're not healthy. Maybe the they're sick. I don't know. It could be a combo Being of all vanilla. things. Yes, they're dumbing down the offense. That's right. Dumbing down the Playing offense. Playing possum. Halfway or two-thirds through the season, they're changing up their offense to dumb it down a bit. Last week against Arizona State, the defense won the game for them on that on that pick six, and they kept them in it. And I, I called it, yes. You called it. Thank the you. offense was generally not, not – I mean, not generally. They were terrible. Yes, they were. Against Arizona State, never got into the end zone offensively. Then a week later, the offense, with the exception of two huge turnovers – the fumble by Odunze down there near the goal line, and then the interception, the Penix interception, which both of those things just kept Stanford into the game with the exception of those two plays. And I know you can't throw those out the window. They did go up and down the field. So the offense was back, but now the defense against Stanford was horrific. I looked it up. Stanford got 28 first downs against the Washington defense. Stanford had 35 minutes of time of possession against Washington's defense. Here are the offensive outputs by Stanford leading into the game against Washington. Yards, just yards. 406 against Hawaii, 349 against a terrible USC defense. They got this is Stanford's offense against these other teams' defense. 349 against a horrific USC defense. They got 387 yards against Sacramento State. In a loss, a loss, Sacramento <laughs> okay. State. They got 358 against Arizona. They got 222 against Oregon because Oregon's yeah, got Oregon's, a good defense. Yeah, they're good. They got 399 against an all-time bad defense in Colorado. Yeah. Dion's defense is terrible. And they got 292 against UCLA. So 292, 399, 222, 358, 387, 349, 406. They got 500 against Washington. Unreal. 500 yards, 499. I mean, the offense has taken a lot of crap, and understandably, but what's going on with this defense? One week Stanford? after, they, they were great against Arizona State. They yeah. were good enough against Oregon, not great against Oregon, good enough against Oregon, and then they give up 500 yards to Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. I hope I New Heisel has answers. And I know there I are. Don't. I know there are. Yeah, well, he'll be on. I know there are guys missing. I know there are injuries. That's the other thing that people are saying. There are yeah. guys missing. They're going to get some people back, but I don't know. Four games to go. USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State. On the day after we release this show, the college football playoffs first poll is going to come out, and they are going <sighs> to be in the top five. We don't know where they're going to be in the top five. They're going to be in the top five of the first college football poll. Would you like me to answer that for you right you now? You already know? Oh, I do know. Okay, tell I me. got a call. Okay. If they're going to be in the top five, they will yeah. be number five. If they're going to be in the... Th- well, they're going to be in the top five. They're not going to be in the top four. If the season ended today and it doesn't, and it's stupid to talk about, yes. to even talk about, yes. there's no scenario where that team is a top four team going to the playoffs considering what they did the last two weeks no way now three weeks ago maybe you could make a case for them right after they beat oregon but dare i tell you you're wrong you can dare i think they're going to be fourth do you really yeah i think they're going to be ahead of michigan 
No way. I don't want to no bet you. I don't want to bet you, but no. No. I just don't see it. I think they're going to be ahead of Michigan. Really? Just because Michigan, the committee is going to sit down with everybody's opponents, and Michigan has played the worst selection of opponents till now. Say what you want about Washington the last two weeks, yeah. but Washington beat Oregon. Washington beat a team that's considered a top six or seven team in the country. You know what Michigan's best win is? Hmm. Rutgers. Really? Okay. So I think there's an out. You wow. might be right. You might be right. They may be fifth. Yeah. It really doesn't matter because no, if, they win, stupid if, if, they, if they win out, they're going to be in the in. top four. Yeah. It, it, the question is, can they lose one? And that we've been talking about that for the longest time. But I think there's an outside shot this week that you're going to be surprised and see them ahead of Michigan at number four and Michigan number five. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have any friends on the committee. Ty Willingham is not a friend. I think he's still on the committee, but he's not a friend. He is. No, I don't know that he is. Condoleezza Rice still on I think she might be on. Really? Still? Yeah. Yeah. We went to her for... Yeah. Okay. Anyway, three interviews. Yes. Including Rick Neuheisel on Washington, including the Seahawks No Table, including Siskel and Ebert, (laughs) and then the other stuff segment on episode 260. Well, it's been a minute since Lindsey Schwartz of Daniels Broiler popped on to Mitch Unfiltered as we count the days, Lindsey, until November the 4th. When your beloved alma mater, USC, takes on the purple and gold. How excited are you? Are you a little worried? A little scared based on what you've seen from the dogs? Hey, Mitch. Yeah, look, I'm excited. I'm not scared. I'm a Trojan. (laughs) Um, The the Huskies look really, really good this year. They got a really good quarterback in Penix. But uh, don't forget about Caleb Williams. He's not so bad either. He may have had a bad game against the Irish, but uh, I wouldn't count him out just yet. Well, Lindsey Schwartz be in attendance for that game. You know, I don't think so. I don't think so at this point. Okay, all right. I'll be watching it, that's for sure. (laughs) Any truth to the rumor that you'll be handing out free ribeyes to all Huskies fans if they kick the Trojans' backside on November the 4th. Let me think about that. We got a couple <laughs> games to play before, so uh, let, let me just kind of kind of see how it looks leading into the week all of the right. game. I've teased you enough. Thanksgiving around the corner for Daniels Broiler. We always talk about it this time of year. It is the best. I've done it. It's the best, I think, the best day of the year at Daniel's Broiler. What do you have in store for us? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I same thing for me. I know you like to go there on Thanksgiving. I love to go there on Thanksgiving. I've been going there for years. It's just so much fun. It's, of course, the one day where we bring in turkey and have the traditional Thanksgiving feast. Uh, we do a four-course dinner. It is $80 per person, and you get turkey, of course. But if you want something different, we are a steakhouse. You can get steak. You can get prime rib. You can get salmon. Uh, we got it all. And then at the downtown location, we also do uh, we do a buffet. So it's all you can eat with all the same great things. Nice. And uh, that's $75 per person. So, yeah, take your pick. But it'll as you know, it sells out fast. I mean, it's it's the busiest day of the year. So if anybody's thinking about doing it, jump on it quickly. I should mention that Daniel's Less Shy has been closed for a remodel. Will it be open in time for Thanksgiving? It will. You know, it's crazy. I mean, we've closed for a day or two before to make some repairs or do some some minor remodel. This is the first time we've ever closed it down uh, for a couple of months. I mean, you know, we opened in 1980. We've been around a long time, but uh, we're doing a, you know, complete revamp. You won't even recognize it other than the beautiful view, of course, will be the same. And uh, we're really excited. It's going to be super cool. It is going to open in time for Thanksgiving. It's going to be a lot of fun. It makes Thanksgiving extra special this year for 
us. Daniel's Broiler, Daniel's Broiler for special occasions and Thanksgiving. We love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Gino Smith spins away from the pressure, throws it to the corner of the end zone for Lockett, who taps the toes for the touchdown. Smith, screen, Jackson Smith and Jake Bob looking for the lead and redemption for the Seahawk offense. Touchdown, Seahawks lead. Walker, flushed. He's got a long way to go. Throws past the sticks, it's incomplete. Gino leading that drive. Uh, the guys keeping him clean up front so that we could throw the ball to, to do what we need to do to finish the game. Guys coming through the catches. Um, the, the touchdown play to win the game was a fantastic block by DK. Seahawks No Table Time, episode 260, Mitch Unfiltered. Taco Time Northwest, 61 Cent Tacos. Halloween is the last Tuesday in October to take advantage of their 61st anniversary of great service to the to the Pacific Northwest. The Seahawks, 24-20 in last-minute fashion over the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. Believe it or not, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. The Seahawks are 5-2, and two. and if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about sorry Hugh, the Seahawks would be in first place in the NFC West and the number two overall seed in the NFC, and yet I'm hearing lots and lots and lots of grumbling from uh, Seahawks fans throughout the Northwest. Are you hearing it, Brady? Are you hearing it? Yeah, and and you know, frankly, I think some of that grumbling is warranted. They are in first place in the NFC West right now. That's has just as much to do with San Francisco losing three straight games, uh, including getting beaten pretty soundly by 14 points uh, by the Bengals. But the Seahawks have done their part. And look, we talked a couple weeks ago after that Bengals game about how that wasn't like a lot of losses where you come away, you know, sort of wondering how good they are and, and cause for concern that, that Bengals loss a few weeks ago. Wasn't that, I think this loss would have been one of those concerning losses. I know the Bengal, or excuse me. I know the Browns uh, have a great defense, but this was not a game that you could lose to a backup quarterback at home in a situation where you've really got to make hay in this part of the schedule before it, things really get tough uh, in a few weeks. With the two games against uh, San Francisco in three weeks, the one game against Dallas, the game against the Eagles, who may you know be the best team uh, in the NFC right now. So uh, this was a game they had to win, and it looked kind of ugly for you know the better half of uh, three quarters, three and a half quarters, but they pulled it. So Brian Nemhauser, Hawk blogger, follow him on Twitter, watch his stuff. Very, very good stuff, Brian. If I asked you the simple question, what was it on Sunday? What were the two biggest reasons on Sunday that the Seahawks won that game against the Browns? You might have trouble. I'm 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 looking at your face. Do you have trouble coming up with the reasons they won that game? It is. It's a challenge, Mitch. I mean, I'm trying to think of what parts of the team took a step forward in this game. And it's hard to kind of say which ones did. The offensive line might be the one part that I would say you got to give at least one of the two nods to that offensive line. By any metric, any uh, film study, this is the best pass rush team in the NFL and the Browns. Looks like the defensive player of the year coming in that was just a game wrecker. And you have 
two of your five starters missing and you have a 41 year old rotating in at right tackle and you give up two quarterback hits and one sack and and you rush for over six yards a carry so the offensive line has to be one of the reasons um if that had if that had been as bad as we expected this game isn't close seahawks are getting are losing by a lot and then the other thing you'd have to just point to the turnovers end of the day seahawks got three turnovers two of them you know critically led to touchdowns and without those two turnovers then this this game again probably isn't close uh now we'll talk about the refs at some point too i don't think this game should have been close even with all the other things but those are the two things in seahawks favor i'd point to they had a chance to go into the locker room at halftime adding to a 17 14 lead and really putting together by all standards a great offensive first half when you consider the opponent because as it was you got to remember we talked about this back on uh the patron show, the Seahawks no table for the patron. The Cleveland Browns were averaging giving up 243 yards a game. The Seahawks had 242 in the first half and had a chance to add to 17 points. Could have had 20, 24 points in the first half offensively against this team. And he throws the interception late in the first half. And that sets off, Brady, seven consecutive or eight consecutive offensive possessions, which looked terrible. And so everybody after the game is wondering, what's wrong with the Seahawks offense? What's wrong with the Seahawks offense? But I have to point out that the Browns, who normally give up 243 yards per game, gave up 362 to the Seahawks. So was it as bad an offensive performance as it looked, at least in the second half? Not quite as bad. It, it it was sort of a lot like uh, last week against Arizona, where you know they moved the ball pretty well. Even the week before uh, against Cincinnati, they, they they moved the ball pretty well in that game. I think they even outgained the Bengals in that game. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and the Bengals, but it's just the kind of untimely mistakes at at bad moments. Um, you know, the last two weeks it was in the red zone where Geno Smith threw an interception. This one was just outside the red zone, but it's all the same. And I don't think this one was the the same type of interception as the other two where I think the other two he was just sort of forcing the ball in there and being too aggressive I think this one was a, a case where the guy undercut the route and and the defender just made a better play than Geno Smith made a, a throw the other one was I think whenever the ball is tipped in the air like that there's a little bit of luck involved and you could say the same thing about the interception that got them the ball back when it bounced off Jamal Adams helmet and hung in the air forever yeah um, there, there's a little bit of luck involved there and I think there was some some good luck there for for Seattle, some bad luck on the the ball that uh, Geno Smith had tipped. It was also a great play by a you know 300 pound defensive tackle who dropped into coverage and got his arm up and tracked the ball and came down with it. So there was another real iffy throw that Smith made that probably should have gone for a pick six. He threw it right to a defender uh, who dropped what would have been a, a pick six. That uh, I think that was on Jackson Smith and Jigba. That was kind of the the implication that we heard post game that, that Jackson Smith and Jigba gave up on the route and there was a miscommunication there. So I, I don't know if that one was on Geno. There was really the one the, the one throw, I think it was at the 27-yard line that resulted in his first interception that was probably the one play that he wants back in this game. You know, though, as someone who has been a pretty staunch defender of Geno Smith and trying to keep people from going all the way off the cliff to saying they should bench him and he's clearly not the quarterback of the future, I, I don't know, Brady, I, when I look at this game, there were at least four throws that you can't, 
you can't make four. Like, and I think the worst throw of the game, I think by a decent shot, was not intercepted. It was the last drive on first down when he rolls to his right. All he has to do is throw it away. DK is completely covered, and he throws it right to DK Mac, like right to what should have been a pick in the end zone that would have ended the game. That is an absolutely inexcusable minus, minus, minus decision, and he made multiple losing plays in this game. Now, he ultimately won, but... I think did, he, he, real quick, Brian, yeah. did, did it look like the defender had his back to yes, him on that one? I, I think did. he was counting on the defender not seeing it and yeah. maybe being one of those plays where Metcalf makes a late adjustment to it. But I think it's an I, awful I, I decision on first down, no matter what. That that's that's just such a huge risk. So I thought this was this was Gino a game where he has too much confidence. He needs to dial it back a little bit and make smart plays. This was not the game to be taking the risks that he took today. Are you calling for Drew Locke? Hell no. No way. I, I, I am not a believer in Drew Locke. I, I I don't understand why anyone's a believer in Drew Locke. The guy's never done anything in the NFL, and he's never done anything for the Seahawks, but yet there's people that are like died in the world Drew Locke fans. So, no, I am not a Drew Locke believer. And look, you look at the state of the NFC, guys. Kirk Cousins goes down. Matthew Stafford goes down. Uh, Brock Purdy, there's some question about whether he might have another concussion, now they're going into a bye week. Who are the quarterbacks that are really tearing it up in the NFC? I don't think there really are any. So I, I think they just got to get Geno to stop making the, the forced plays. And I think they'll be all right. Let's talk about the last drive after they get the interception, the tipped interception to set up the game winning score. The Noah Fant reception is going to get lost in the shuffle. It's one of those plays that because of the way it ended controversially in some quarters about the block of, of DK Metcalf, which we'll get to, we might put aside that Noah Fant catch, not so much the catch, but he could have gone out of bounds there to stop the clock, but instead he cuts it back and he gains God knows how many more yards, 15, 20 more yards to put them in comfortable field goal range if you can ever be comfortable with the field goal kicker that they have. Brady, big play from Fant, maybe the the biggest play that he's delivered since he's been a Seahawk. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, there's not another one that really comes to mind, and maybe I'm just not remembering one, but in that moment, yeah, certainly. And I, I, I was with you there. I was like, okay, is he going to step out of bounds here? Because I think there was uh, like a minute 20 left on the clock. Uh, then and I think the play started at like the 40 yard line. And so he still got kind of a ways to go there. And uh, but, you know, he saw something there. And a lot of times players think they see something there. They think they have an opening and, and they don't get out of bounds and you're scratching your head. That was one of those plays where he saw an opening and he actually took advantage of it. And it went for 27 yards. And uh, what was it? Two plays later, they scored the, the game winning touchdown. So uh, that was right before the the play to Metcalf in the end zone, the throw to Metcalf in the end yeah. zone that Brian yeah. just mentioned. So yeah, that might've been his biggest play as a Seahawk. All right, let's talk about the, the hold or the not hold. Pete Carroll said it was picture perfect. It's exactly the way we teach it. He released him at the exact right time. Scott was on our show yelling and screaming. It's holding. It's holding. His hands are outside. Everybody knows that when your hands are outside and they're on the shoulder pads, you're going to get that. You're going to get that. They had been calling everything against the Seahawks all day. So it would not have been a stunner. I don't think to any of us had they cold holding on DK Metcalf. How'd you see it, Brian? I did not see it as an egregious holding penalty. And I'll be the first to tell you when I do. 
it, it, it didn't stand out at all to me. Uh, so I, I hear that other folks see it differently. I think that the play, the, the penalties that came against the Seahawks were far more egregiously bad than that non-call. Um, I, you know, the, the play that they called Reek Woolen on was a defensive pass interference or, or something on fourth and three. I think it was a shot, uh, maybe a shot to the face. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. I, th- I thought there were some awful, awful calls uh, that went against the Seahawks. All right, Brady holding or not holding? Not holding, but by a whisker. I mean, I'm telling you, if he if he doesn't disengage from that block for another millisecond, it's, it probably gets called holding. I mean, Pete Carroll even said it afterwards. Like, that's the exact kind of play uh, that oftentimes draws a holding penalty when, you know, the, the ball carrier runs right by sort of turns the corner there and run runs right by uh, the defender and the offensive player who's laying that block and um, you know it wasn't a case where Metcalf was driving him backwards and so it had the look of a play that often gets called for holding I, I don't think they missed it but I don't think the Seahawks got away with it by a whole lot either how about the uh, the penalties I guess a long time ago we all concluded it's the price of doing business with Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll's teams that you, you just got to accept it. It comes along with Pete Carroll. So we we stop bitching and moaning, but there's a lot of penalties. And I, I said to Hotshot Scott earlier on in this podcast, I said, they've cornered the market on defensive stops that get overturned by automatic first downs. <laughs> I mean, nobody does it like Pete Carroll's teams. They, I, I wish PFF, your BFF, PFF kept track of that. How many times... Does a defense come up with a stop and then it's overturned by an automatic first down on the defense? Should we gripe, Brian? Or or I I guess I got your tenor there. You think a lot of cheap calls were made against the Seahawks? I thought these were – I I am generally in the rule of it's not the refs. I I don't even blame the refs for the 2005 Super Bowl. You know, uh, but this game, I thought there were just really, really bad calls. Browns up end up with four first downs from penalty in this game. I thought almost each one of those calls was really questionable, if not just outright bad. And, and they missed the offsides. You know, Miles Garrett was plainly in the neutral zone uh, on, I think, the touchdown. The Geno interception. They, or, I'm sorry, the Geno interception. Yeah, mm-hmm. late the end of the first half. That's what Pete Carroll was livid about. That was a missed call. Uh, I, I didn't get a good enough look at either of the penalties on Woolen or on Witherspoon, but those were huge. I mean, the Woolen penalty was a late flag that extended what ended up being a touchdown drive. He clearly didn't like it. And then Witherspoon had the illegal hands to the face um, on a, like a second and 18 play that gave Cleveland an automatic first down. So right, right. Um, look, maybe Seattle, you know, maybe uh, referees in some way made up for it a tiny bit by not calling the Metcalf play, but either way, I mean, it was a good block by DK, and I think that's the kind of, you know, moment that he needed with all of the scrutiny on him and all of the, you know, thought that what he's doing with the sort of penalties of aggression and not really owning up to it. Um, you know, I think some people would view that as selfish play. This was a very unselfish play to spring a block for his teammate for the game-winning touchdown. Brian, the most surprising element to the game for me. Now, I know that the Cleveland Browns have had a lot of success running the football over the last couple of years with Nick Chubb and all the guys that have complimented him, even in his absence this year. But the one thing that I thought I knew about the Seahawks defense in the first six games, seven games, is that they've been very stout against the run. So if you said to me, Mitch, what's the one thing that stood out on Sunday that really surprised you? It was how effectively 
the Browns right up the middle. Right up the middle. It was constantly second and five. Second and four. You know, the Seahawks were second and eight, second and nine. And if there was a false start penalty in there, second and 15. As the Seahawks were trying to get back, get the ball back and score, they were behind the longest time, 20 to 17. But every time I looked up, it was second and three, second and two. They gashed the Seahawks up front. Do you have any explanation for that? I think that it depends. I, I agree with you, Mitch, that they had more success in the running game than I would have expected. And they seem to continue running the same play. It looked like a trap play. I don't know if you remember years ago, there was a Frank Gore game with the 49ers where they kept running this trap play and that Seahawks defense could not stop it for it was 50 yards, 60 yards over and over. It wasn't quite that bad. And they only end up with you know, 3.9 yards of carry in this game, but they ran it 40 times. They put up 155 yards and they were very effective in controlling the clock. So yeah, I, I think that they just, that offensive line, especially inside of that offensive line, give Ethan Posick, former Seahawks some credit and that those guards, they, they blocked up the Seahawks and they couldn't, they couldn't stop him at the line of scrimmage. I also though, Mitch, think you got to talk about the fact this is only the third time in Pete Carroll's tenure that they have averaged over six and a half yards of carry and run the ball less than 20 times. The running backs only had 13 carries, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. That is incredibly odd for a Pete Carroll team to be running effectively and not running the ball. That was really weird. I mean, they ran the ball pretty well in the first half. I think they had 11 carries, and then they just totally got away from it for whatever reason in the second half. And this wasn't like a case of... Um, they were trying to chase and you know make up some huge deficit. I mean, they it was it was a close game the entire way, and so yeah, yeah. I didn't really know what to make of that. I mean, maybe it was just one of those cases where uh, they just couldn't get anything really going offensively. I think the first two uh, of those eight consecutive drives you mentioned without points, you know, the first two were three and outs. There was another three and out. There was an interception after on the third play of one drive. Then there was another three and out. So it may have just been. You know, you just can't really get two running plays that you like when you're not sustaining drives, but that was curious. Before we get to the Taco Time Northwest, who was doing some work, I'm going to tell you who wasn't doing some work, and that's Brady Henderson, who's on my you-know-what list, because during the during the exhibition season and camp, Brady made a point to mention both on text and on our shows how the Seattle Seahawks are working on screen passes there there they are <laughs> they are spending time on screen passes and what i watched again on sunday was another team come in here and just screen pass them to death on that one drive i think they ran three different versions of a screen pass or four in a row four different yeah. screen passes in a row running backs tight that tight end, if i see that tight end screen pass one it works every screen pass that you ever run against the seattle seahawks always work and the seahawks can't run one so i i'm i'm ready to throw myself out the window brady Catch me before I fall, please. Well, I, I will beg to differ on at least part of your analysis there. And yes, certainly David Njoku was killing them uh, with tight end screens. He had the one for, uh, well, the one where he scored a touchdown on and I think another one that went for 40 plus yards. However, Mitch, Jackson Smith and Jigba 
Uh, the play yeah. where he scores the game-winning touchdown—that's a bubble screen. No, he also had a, a, no, that a screen count. earlier in the game that, that gained count. Uh, 15 yards. That or so. doesn't count. I mean, a screen is a screen, my no, friend. No, no, no. But that's not what they've struggled with. They don't know how to run the traditional when Mitch Levy was young screen pass. You you run the other team's aggressiveness against them. You let them come in. You flip it over the top. You let all the... They can't run that. They don't know how to time it. They can't run one. And it can't be that hard. And Hugh Millen used to say to me, Mitch, Mitchie, you got to understand, that takes a lot of work and practice, and you've got to decide where your time is going. And to learn how to... Learn the timing with offensive linemen and a screen pass is very... Yet, everybody does it with high efficiency against the Seahawks, and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think the defensive linemen on that play—they've got to have an awareness that the screen is coming. And, and Dave Wyman always has a funny line about this, quoting one of his uh, the defensive coordinators that he played with. He he calls those defensive linemen pass rushing geniuses uh, when they they are you know they don't realize that the offensive linemen are letting them get upfield, right? And right. they're wondering why it's so easy to rush the passer on a screen play. It's because the <clears throat> offensive players are actually letting you get upfield. Taco time, pass Northwest. Rushing geniuses. Taco time, Northwest always applauds people who like to do some work they're always looking to add to their incredible team at tacotimenw.com always looking and this is the time of the show where we award a 61 cent taco to some seattle seahawks in their 24 20 victory over the i'm always the nice guy i'm always allowing you guys to go first i'm always taking the scraps that are left i'm not doing it i'm not feeling in a giving route i'm taking boy mafe too bad for you guys he's low-hanging fruit i don't want to think about it anymore boy mafe is my guy that was doing some work for the seahawks against the cleveland browns now brian you don't have boy mafe do you i don't but you know <laughs> you know who i have who do you have jake bobo <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking him off the board, Mitch. He's off the board. He's off the board. <laughs> Jake he's off Bobo, the board. With, he's helping us uh, convert in the red zone uh, running play. He, he he scores through the air. He, he scores, scores on the ground. Yeah, this is Jake Bobo, and and I finally understand why Brady is you know uh, wearing a Bobo jersey, uh, even though he is not a Seahawks. Not fan. a fan. Not, not a, a fan. fan. Jake Bobo was doing some work. Do you want to he tell was us? Doing that? Some he was work. doing some taco time work ah Brady look at Brady like oh who am I gonna take what am I gonna well do? no I'm actually glad that that Brian picked Bobo because <laughs> I was sure not ready for the endless haranguing I was gonna receive for picking Bobo for I think what would have been at, at least the second if third not the third third week third yeah so now, however it does put me in a bit of a pickle because uh I was expecting Brian to pass on Bobo and so I don't know who I'm going to go with I, I guess we already talked about him but I'll, I'll go with the offensive line here sure. and, and Brian mentioned it but I'll say it again it, it's just another reminder about how these games sometimes so clearly look on paper like they're going to go one way I mean we all pick this to be kind of a lower scoring defensive game I think we all with two pretty good defenses on the field and one backup quarterback I think we also all thought that uh this would be a game where Seattle's offensive line with, you know, the rookie at right guard uh, with the two backups in there uh, would struggle. And they more, more than, than held, held their, their own. own. I mean, held their own. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
Good for now. them. We saw Jason Peters make his debut. Somebody joked afterwards, I can't remember who it was. It was maybe Geno Smith that he's been in the NFL so long that he might have actually played against the Seahawks back when they were wearing these throwback jerseys <laughs> as their full-time jerseys. <laughs> Not quite that long, but the guy's in his 20th season and he's playing. He, I, I haven't, you know, obviously haven't watched the game again and, and haven't looked at the numbers, but it looked like he kind of helped them today. Okay. So the offensive line, Peters included, was doing some work. Brian and Brady, let's end with this question. The trading deadline is on Halloween, Tuesday. We're going to release this show on a Monday. It's the following day. Two questions, will and should. Should they make a trade? Will they make a trade? I sense, even though everybody's saying there hasn't been a lot of talk on that front, I keep reading about all of these edge guys around the NFL that are available for the right price. Either they have contract situations or the team doesn't think they can sign them next year or the team is out of it. I've read about five or six or seven names. And I just think, as Brian has very, very eloquently put over the last many weeks, this is a different-looking team. It's not impressive. It's it's an unimpressive five and two. Brian actually used the word fraudulent before we started. I don't know that it's fraudulent, (laughs) but it's an unimpressive five and two. But as I always tell Hotshot, I tell him this every year, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is... At the end of the year, how you're playing. How you played against the Cleveland Browns in the 24-20 game on October the 29th makes... You could have been so impressive, you look like the freaking Bears of 1985. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, did you win the game? And is it a win in your standings or loss? And how are you playing at the end? And there's a look to this team, especially when you consider, Brian the environment around them in the NFC, as somebody just pointed out. The 49ers look vulnerable all of a sudden. The Eagles struggled with the Commanders. This thing looks like it's it's dying for somebody to come out of the weeds and grab a hold of it. And maybe if they solidified that other edge opposite of Mafe with something of substance, who knows? And the offense gets going and Geno stops making mistakes? Who knows? So... Should they? Will they, Brian? I think this game and the state of the NFC changes things a little bit. Pete and John are affected by how close they believe their team is to competing and contending. And I think that there's no way you can look at the Seahawks right now, second seed in the NFC, first place in their division, and not think that they're in good position to to make a play. I think... I'll go this far. I think the Seahawks should make a move. And this is not a move where they should be giving up first or second round picks. I don't think that they should be doing that, but they should make a move. And I think that they will. I think that they will add one player. The thing that to watch for, guys, is I would expect the 49ers to make one or two moves. I wouldn't be surprised if they add a couple and overreact quite a bit to these last three games. Yeah, Brian's right there. I mean, the 49ers have been pretty active at the trade deadline the last few years, including the huge trade uh, last year for Christian McCaffrey. And so I don't know if maybe there is going to be some incentive there for the Seahawks to kind of keep up with the Joneses there. And, and, you know, maybe they wouldn't even know what San Francisco's up to by the time they have to decide on a deal or not. But um, I think they need some help up front, even with Frank Clark there. And I'm interested to see uh, sort of how Clark looked. Again, I, it's hard to judge in the immediate aftermath of the game. But I think I said this last week, I don't think that will or should necessarily preclude them 
from doing anything. A, because they didn't have to give up anything for Clark. He was a, a street free agent on a minimum salary deal. So you didn't give up any real money, any draft pick compensation. They've got, um, you know, the, the, all, the bounty from the Russell Wilson trade is over. So they're not going to benefit from that. But they do, they did make another trade with Denver to get them an extra third round pick next year. Aside from all that, like this is a team that looks like it has a chance to really do something. And they also look like, kind of vulnerable up front. I know Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed have been really good, but they are one injury in the interior of their defensive line away from, I think, being in big trouble just because there's not a whole lot behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Mario Edwards has has been good. I think they need another, you know, sort of Mario Edwards type guy. The inclination may be to think outside linebacker, and maybe that is a move that they make. But I think just as much they need they need more help in the interior. I know Leonard Williams is a name that uh, people have thrown around. He's making eighteen million dollars this year, which is uh, almost untradeable. And, and maybe that you could you know finesse the contract to do something there. But I think he's kind of the type of player, maybe not the type of contract, but that's the type of player that I think they could really use. The Hawk blogger Brian Nemhauser. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Mitch. And Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks Insider. Follow both these guys all week before we're together again for the uh, Friday release for patrons of the Seahawks No Table. Thank you, Brady. Thank you. Hey, it's time for a visit with Zeke's president, Dan Black. And Dan, there's an obvious first question here. Does your son, Hank, fully comprehend that he could have been at a national championship contender and Heisman frontrunner had he stayed at home instead of being a trader and going off to Austin, Texas. Does he understand this? <laughs> You're hitting on one of my favorite subjects right now, Mitch. This is a this is good family uh, trash talk going on right now. Yeah, he does realize it now. He loves being a Longhorn. As you know, Austin's pretty fun. You were just down there, but and and he's a proud Longhorn, but he he's he's a true blue husky too. And so, you know, he was twisted up last year when we beat him in the Alamo Bowl and now of course he's loving what the Huskies are doing and sure. Longhorns are having a great season too. But yeah, let's put it this way, the the Huskies in the family trash talk the uh, Longhorn funny. <laughs> Speaking of football season, last time you were on, you told us about a football promotion that you're doing at all the Zeeks. First of all, how's it going? And second of all, how about reviewing how we can participate? Yeah, no, it's going great. Pigskin 10 is super popular. People are using it. Um, and just to refresh what the deal is, is if you use the code pigskin10, you get $10 off your order. Pretty simple. The order needs to be $40 or more before the discount. So $30 after the discount. Right. Uh, but the cool thing is you can use it as many times as you want during the season. There's a limit once per day, but you can use it as much as you want. And so use it whenever you're watching a game, watching the Hawks, the Huskies, whoever. We're getting a lot of orders with it. So it's popular. So it's Thursdays. Saturday, Sundays, Mondays. Is that right? Yep. What we call it football days. So Thursday night football, of course, college games on Saturday, NFL on Sunday uh, and Monday night football. So, yeah, Beautiful. football days. Good and, good reminder. And the code is pigskin10 for $10 off of all orders. And it's the fall and football season. So do me a favor before you go. Highlight one of Zeke's specialty beers that stands tall this time of year on that incredible menu of selections. Yeah, no, it's it's fresh hop season right now in the fall that coordinates well with football season. And fresh hop means that they take the hops right off the vine, put it right into the kettle. And so you get really a nice fresh hop feel. Mm-hmm. So we got two of them, single hill, lateral A, fresh hop, and uh, varietals, everything is blossom fresh hop. So those, those are the recommended beers right now. That's awesome. Zeke's Pizza from Seattle all the way to Boise, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Here's Nick's 
there. His throw to the end zone. It's Rick Neuheisel time, ladies and gentlemen, on this episode 260. Brought to you by Taco Time Northwest, of course. 61 cent crisp tacos on Halloween. That's the last Tuesday in October, celebrating 61 years of tremendous service to the Northwest. And here he is, Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr. from Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, the place where I proposed many moons ago and you were playing golf there this weekend or did you not play golf i was not as inspired as you were while in rehoboth <laughs> uh, but i did play a couple of rounds of golf here at rehoboth beach country club and i'm going to get one more in uh, before i head back to uh new york city let's discuss the headlines from this past weekend in the world of college football i'll throw a few at you you can start with anyone you like anyone you like down goes <laughs> oklahoma in lawrence kansas Oregon continues to do its part to get a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. The Huskies struggle again with a questionable opponent. No Quinn Ewers for Texas, no problem. And Louisville rolls Duke. Could be the last hope for everybody hoping that FSU will lose a game somewhere down the line. Any of these strike a fancy? For you. I would love to talk about the Oklahoma-Kansas game okay. just because I think it's such a remarkable thing that has happened there in Lawrence, Kansas with Lance Leipold and the job that he's done with the Jayhawks. They were as down as a program could be, as down as a program could be, and just struggling just to get any kind of win, rather, let alone a Big 12 win. And just a couple of years ago, they went on the road and beat Texas in a shootout where they went for two and had a guy that it was a walk on Jared Casey yeah. score, score a two point conversion because who didn't even know what position he should play on the play. They just said, go to this position. Cause you'll never see the ball. And he ends up catching it as Jalen Daniels scrambled. It's been that kind of helter skelter story since. And to watch them find a way to win uh, was really, really fun. And then the goalpost off to Potter Lake, you know, that looked like, you know, I said, somebody's going to come out of there looking like a nuclear weapon. That did not look healthy, but uh, that's where the goalpost went. And it was just a, a terrific thing. Oregon is, is, a, was a fabulous story. Uh, that's a great team. And I think going to find their way to Las Vegas, I think it will be against the Huskies, but the Huskies now have got to get better and get better fast. They can't, use the term board any longer uh, because here comes USC, Texas, you know, that's an interesting team. That defense is showing that it can help win games. And uh, whether it's Malik Murphy or Quinn Ewers, your Heisman trophy candidate is doing much better than mine as mine is in the rehab tent. <laughs> Uh, but Texas is uh, rounding in a form and the big 12 is a fascinating conference right now with so many one loss teams. Uh, and then we go to the ACC Louisville. That it was a brilliant job. That's two weeks where they're at home, where they look like they know what they're doing over Notre Dame, mm -hmm. over Duke, a really good team. Jeff Brom, uh, an odds on favorite to be coach of the year in the ACC. And we'll just wait and see if anybody can get to Florida State. They look good this week. They're going to be in the top four, maybe probably the top two or three when they uh, unveil the first rankings. Uh, but they're not dominant. 
I think they're vulnerable. And so I'm going to not just tell you that it's a rubber stamp to undefeated season. But somebody's got to beat them. That's right. Somebody on their schedule's got to beat them. I agree with you. I'll have you know, I just want you to know that I've referred to my little private school that I went to in high school. And, yes. and, and everybody's got where all the Nicholases used all, to wander all, around. All the Nicholases <laughs> and now the woods, the yes, woods wander of around. Of course. Did you know, you don't know this, the Florida State quarterback is a graduate from the Benjamin School. The little You're private. Me. No, the, the Heisman Trophy contender. Jordan Travis Jordan, is from the Benjamin the School. The Benjamin School. So you I were wanna... this close to being in a Heisman <laughs> Trophy race, man. Oh, <laughs> ah, dear. So. I know I've been asking you this about a lot of teams, and your answer, your MO is to say, oh, they've got a chance. Oh, they've got a chance. The one loss question. Now Oklahoma has a loss. I'm endlessly right. curious, obviously, about what happens if well, I have decided that if Washington goes undefeated and goes into the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon undefeated and they lose... And, and they lose. do they still have a chance to get in? I don't think they will. I, I okay. think I think in that scenario, Oregon goes and and Washington. The only scenario where I think Washington with one loss goes is if they lose one of these tough four games. Let's say they lose at USC or they lose to Utah or they lose to Oregon State on the road. And then they go through, go to Oregon, beat Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship, will have beaten Oregon twice. I think if a number of things happen on the East with you guys and SEC right. and Big Ten, I think there's a chance that a one-loss Washington team that wins the Pac-12 championship game and beats Oregon for a second time, I think there's an outside shot that that's a one-loss team that could still get in. But there's going to be all the, you got Alabama's and Georgia hasn't lost yet and Ohio State and Michigan, one of them's going to lose and presumably end up with one loss. You got Florida State's. I mean, there's just so many teams. You can only have four New Heisel. That's so. correct. So let me just give you my, how I uh, handicap this. I see a one loss Big Ten team, one loss SEC team, and a one loss Pac-12 team in the, in the college football playoff, as long as they're champions, as long as they're champions, all of those conferences will get representation. One loss ACC team champion, not guaranteed. One loss big 12 champion, not guaranteed, not guaranteed. Now I think that if it were Texas and they knock off Oklahoma and they come back, they probably rise to the level of the other three, obviously undefeated teams are going to get in. But uh, I think there's a pecking order in conferences, and the Pac-12 has jumped. The ACC has jumped the Big 12, and I would even argue that they may have jumped uh, the other two, but r those other two carry a lot of cachet. Okay. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about what you just said, one of which is there's not going to be a one-loss Big Ten team that doesn't win the conference. The, the, the one loss Big Ten team is not going to win the conference because Ohio State or Michigan is going to win that game. And then that one loss team is going to be left out of the Big Ten championship. That's a good game. point. So that's, that's a good point. That's not going to happen. Um, I just I just wonder how it's going to shake out. When you if there if there were a round robin of Penn State beating Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then Michigan beating Ohio State. Not going to happen. 
Okay. Not going to so happen. It's the, so let I me don't ask know why you we this. have these conversations no. if I, you know everything. <laughs> I don't know everything. I don't know everything. Um, a lot of people will listen to this interview after the college football poll is released. Some will listen before because it'll be released right. on a Monday and that's going to be released on a Tuesday. So I look at Washington and Michigan and I say to myself, look, if they're true to themselves in that room, not that this matters, it doesn't matter. But if they're right. true to themselves in this room, they'll look at Michigan's schedule and they'll say, they've only beat Rutgers. Rutgers is the best win Michigan has. Now, That's yes, correct. yes, Washington has looked not so good late at night against the last two opponents, and they aren't very good. But they still have beaten Oregon. They still have beaten one of the top six. I say Washington deserves to be number four, and Michigan should be out. They're going to be top five. We know the five teams are going to be. Oregon will probably be the next tier, will lead the next tier. Will Michigan or Washington be higher in the first poll? I'm with you. I think Washington should be four and Michigan should be five. Will they? I have Florida State three. I have Ohio State one, Georgia two, because Georgia has looked vulnerable. Now, George, it won't shock me if Georgia and Michigan are sitting there one and two, right. just based on their the eye test. Uh, although I think Michigan, given the news surrounding the maize and blue, it might have some sort of dampening feeling on that uh, room. Uh, but 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 I'm with you. The, the the schedules played by Michigan and and Georgia to some extent, although the Florida win was impressive, uh, those are not representative in the same category as the other three. Did I see in the USC California game, which was chock full of bizarre storylines. Did I see that they concluded at halftime that they were owed an extra kick? Did you yes. notice? And they came, they came out, out and gave them an extra play I, to start the second half. When has I've that never ever seen it when, before? When has that ever? And, and I was told that the kicker for USC knew that this was happening. So he went out on the field at halftime, even with the band on the field, and he started practicing a 33-yard field goal from the exact spot. He just started practicing, and he still missed it. And missed it. He still missed missed it. it. You can't make that stuff up. No. As we say goodbye, as the curtain begins to close on our wonderful Pac-12, we have been given some memories that we'll not soon forget. That one was definitely uh, one for the ages. We also had an official actually say, if the band doesn't stop playing, I'm going to throw an extra flag on the home team. Yeah. He, he said that penalty doesn't count. That penalty doesn't count because the band was playing after I told them not to. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. Is the shine, the luster off of the USC-Washington game this weekend because USC has not been good, really, the last several weeks, and Washington has, although not lose, they've stubbed their toe a little bit in games against Arizona State and Stanford, or is it still a spectacular showcase of two Pac-12 teams? The facts of the matter is that USC still only has one loss in the conference. And because they're still within striking range and they have a quarterback that has, you know, sensational talent, you know, you know, unbelievable ability, it makes it a must-see game. And uh, I think we'll get a national audience once again to kind of tune in and watch these uh, these great uh, quarterbacks as well as all the other uh, accoutrements uh, put one on uh, uh, for the national enjoyment. 
Who's ahead in the Heisman race, the Michigan quarterback or Penix? Well, again, I think this Michigan stuff is going to cause a lot of people to wonder, what am I looking at? What was that? You know, is it all real or was it made up? I mean, jo- uh, Josh Gaddis, Mitch, was the offensive coordinator there in 2021. He won the Frank Broyles Award as the the best assistant coach in all the land. There are texts from Connor Stallions, the person of interest in this whole scandal, mm-hmm. that says he's standing next to the, Josh Gaddis every game and telling him when the pressures are coming and what coverage they're in. And I'm sitting there going, if I'm the offensive coordinator and I've got all that information, it's coming in and it's accurate. I'm a pretty good coordinator. And then you look and see that Gaddis went to Miami in the very next year, a bonus baby to go along with Mario Cristobal. And they fired him after one year. No goods. He's now uh, an assistant on the Miami, uh, on the Maryland staff. I, I don't know what that does to, and I don't think it's fair to JJ McCarthy because I think he's a wonderful talent. I just don't know what it'll do to him. So I think Penix is still in that deal, but Bo Nix put himself back in it too yeah. with that big win in Utah. Who's ahead? Uh, I think Penix still, and this stage with Caleb on it as well sure. is uh, an absolute yeah. glorious opportunity to, to uh, strengthen what is right now a very, very good campaign. Rick Neuheisel presented by Taco Time Northwest. Now, Rick, you can say a lot about Sark. There's a lot of things we can say about Sark, your old pal Sark. But he's got a Heisman Trophy candidate of his own on a certain prominent college football preseason show, a certain handsome, blonde-haired guy anointed (laughs) Quinn Ewers the Heisman Trophy, and Quinn Ewers goes out. He's got art. We spent how many years waiting for the Arch Manning decision? How many years did we all discuss, oh, my God, Arch Manning this, Arch Manning that? Kevin Durant tweeted about Arch Manning's decision. Is he going to his uncle and his grandfather's Mississippi? Is he going to his uncle's uncle's, uh, Tennessee? And Sark gets him. He gets him there. And now Quinn Ewers gets hurt, Rick Neuheisel. And he still has not put the kid on the football field, what what am I missing here? Why can, is he? It, it's not a red shirt. I mean, I can't believe it's a red shirt we're talking about. The the kid's not going to stay there all four years to begin with. What is the reason? What the hell is the reason that Arch Manning hasn't gotten a snap yet? The only reason I can come up with is this kid Malik Murphy is that good. Malik Murphy's from Southern California. Was a bonus baby recruit. Sark got him there. He didn't transfer. You would have thought with the tea leaves reading as they did Quinn Ewers and his big NIL deal. Here comes Arch Manning and his big NIL deal that Malik Murphy would say, I got to go someplace else, but he didn't. And uh, somehow, some way he's earned the respect of that coaching staff and that, that team. And he played pretty darn well. And whether or not it shows itself obviously in practice, or it's just uh, something that Sark believes yeah, uh, the team didn't miss a beat. So how does Arch Manning stay there? Is it who's going to be the starting quarterback next year? Is yours back next year? That's an interesting question as, you know, as we sit and wonder about how long he's sidelined because he'll get lots of, he'll get lots of uh, advice as to whether or not he's seasoned enough to go to the next level, especially given this 
class of quarterbacks that looks to be coming out. That's going to be pretty darn impressive. Uh, I would say Quinn Ewers, based on what I've seen thus far, needs to stay another year. So will Arch Manning say, I got to go someplace else? Will Malik Murphy do that? Listen, this, this carousel will continue to spin. Taco Time Northwest obviously applauds those that love to do some work. And this is the part of the show each and every week on Mitch Unfiltered where I ask Rick Neuheisel to take a look into college football and shine the light on somebody that he'd like to send a 61-cent crisp taco to on a Tuesday to celebrate Taco Time's 61st birthday. And I always ask you, as the visiting team, would you like to kick... <laughs> Or would you like to receive? I'm taking the ball, Mitch. And it's not <laughs> a it's not just a person. I have been absolutely astounded with what I have watched this year in the Big Ten. It's it's mind blowing what's going on in the Big Ten. And so rather than be negative, I do not espouse to be Ned negative. I want to be Paul positive. Okay. So we are going to give the 61 cent tacos yeah. to all of the big 10 defensive coordinators really nice. who must be doing some work because the offenses in that league are making our eyes bleed. Let me go through the numbers, Iowa. There are 133 teams in FBS football. Iowa is ranked 133rd. They are last. 121st, Northwestern. These are yards per game numbers. Mm -hmm. 117, Minnesota. 115, Indiana. 113, Michigan State. 112, Nebraska. 107, Rutgers. 97, Purdue. 83rd, Illinois. And here come the real juggernaut offenses. Wisconsin at 74. Penn State at 67, Maryland at 48, Michigan at 46, and Ohio State at the top 40th. Now, as you sit there and think this through, before we get to a Big Ten offense in yards per game in, in the FBS, we'll have gone through five SEC teams, five ACC teams, seven Pac-12 teams, eight Big 12 teams, amazing. six Sunbelt teams, one Conference USA, one MAC, one Mountain West, and a partridge and a- in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> How do you Five American it? teams. Is it good defense or bad offense or a combination of both? As I said, don't let me come on this program oh, and pretend I to see. be Ned Negative. Okay. Let's just, let's just shower the defensive coordinators in the Big 10 because they are stifling these offenses. Okay. So crisp tacos to all the defensive coordinators. How many teams are in the big 10 these days? 14, <laughs> 14. All right. Look, I wanted to give my taco to Dennis Lynch, the kicker of USC for missing the 33 yard field goal. <laughs> after to start after this all the practice amidst the trombone section, <laughs> but I got to do, I got to give it to another kicker. I know I've done this before, but I got to do it again. Jackson state kicker Leilani Armenta on Saturday became the first Beautiful. woman. 
to score in an FCS HBCU game, connecting on not one, not two, but three extra points in the Tigers' 40 to 14 victory over Arkansas Pine Bluff. She's a five foot seven native of Ventura, California, who also plays this. soccer at uh, Jackson State. She made history in the second quarter when she trotted out on the field and kicked the extra point after a 25 yard. Jacobian Morgan scoring pass to DJ Stevens with 535 to go before halftime. So I'm sending my taco to Leilani Armenta of Jackson. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Way to go, Leilani. Now, somebody on this show, when faced with a, a daunting two and four record against the spread, turned to me last week and said, Mitchie, we're going to be fine. Because we're taking the Ducks. The Ducks are going to Utah. And and ignore the point spread. Ignore the point spread. They are going to Utah. And they are laying the hammer on the Utes. Who very rarely get embarrassed. Especially at home. Like they did against Oregon. Solidifying Oregon's place. Probably. Probably. As of the moment. The best one loss team in America. The most prominent one loss team in America. So that brings you to three and four. And you can sniff it. You don't have to have my schnoz. You Here it can, comes. You can Here sniff 500. You can sniff. You are this close to getting. And once I know Neuheisel, once he gets to 500, it's just cruising. It's easy sailing from there. It's going to be another. But you got to get to 500 before you can get over 500. No truer words were ever spoken. <laughs> so what do we do? This doing? week, we have an unbelievable slate of games. Yes, we do. Some real, real good ones. Uh, on CBS, we've got uh, LSU traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on the Crimson Tide. Before that, we'll have Missouri headed to Georgia. Missouri quietly 7-1 and one on the season. Can they win that Heck, game? Can they win even that game? Yeah, they can. Uh, Brady okay. Cook's darn good. Uh, okay. And I think their defense, but they're going to have to have Georgia help them. And Georgia's not very good at helping, meaning turn the ball over a bunch. Yeah. I don't see that happening. Okay. Um, and even before that, we have uh, Ohio State and Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers 6-2, and two, Greg Schiano, and their 107th ranked offense. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, We've got a game that is known for years and years simply as Bedlam. Uh, Bedlam. Yeah. The Oklahoma Sooners traveling to play Oklahoma State. Off a loss, licking their wounds. Off a loss to Kansas. We began the program talking about the great Kansas Jayhawk victory. It's the last Bedlam. As Oklahoma heads to the SEC, the greener pastures of the SEC, leaving behind their brother school, Oklahoma State, and years and years of tradition. And there's been some acrimony in the great state of Oklahoma about this departure. You know, Mike Gundy says, hey, we didn't leave. We don't need to keep playing those guys. And so we get one and maybe only one for the ages. And with that being said, and what's happening at Oklahoma State following a 33 to 7 loss to South Alabama at home yeah. earlier in the year, yeah. followed by a loss to Iowa State yeah. where it looked like things were crumbling yeah. for the Pokes. The ghost of T Boone Pickens came <laughs> roaring back. <laughs> Kansas State went down. Kansas went down. West Virginia went down. And they just took care of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And I say, despite the fact that they're a touchdown underdog or close to it, yep. 
I'm taking the pokes. You're taking the I'm pokes. I'm taking the pokes. In their last go round of Bedlam, there in Stillwater, Eskimo Joes will rejoice. Give me the orange and black. And the coach isn't 40 anymore. <laughs> no. Um, Come at me. I'm a man. <laughs> I'm much older than 40. <laughs> All right. You got Oklahoma State plus six points at home at 1230 Pacific, 330 in the East against the Oklahoma Sooners. And if you're right, and Oklahoma State should win, if Oklahoma already isn't out the Final Four discussion, they will be out after their second loss in consecutive weeks. And that is Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr., three and four on the season. One win away. One (laughs) win away, I say, from 500. And then it's easy sailing from there. Thank you, Rick. Good to visit with you again. Always fun, Mitch. It's J-Flow time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Price is right. Here we go. Oh, I'm great. You're doing all right. Tough times, big numbers, challenging rates. What can you tell us about buying and selling homes these days? You know, rates are high. It is a challenging market, but it is a good market for the buyers we're working with. They are not having to compete still. The rates are elevated, but they are getting homes at prices where they're not having to elevate. So it's a good time for buyers. And real estate is always a great investment during inflationary times to hedge against inflation. So yeah, still a good time. And you were telling me before we started about Fannie Mae. Tell our listeners. Yeah. So they just came out about a week ago and uh, made it possible to buy three and four plex properties with 5% down. It used to be 25%. Now, if you're looking to buy a primary resident, as a three or a fourplex, you can put a minimum 5% down. And then the beauty is you can use the other two to three units that you're buying to use the rental income from those and use it as the income to qualify for purchasing that asset. So fourplexes, you can borrow up to $1.5 million now in this market. So 5% down on that and use the income from it to purchase it. So great opportunity. And for all of us who need some help, whether you're buying or selling or refinancing, we're going to call the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage because your team is the best. How do we reach you on your phone? You are calling me or texting me at 425-890-2957. And that's the direct line for Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Where would we be without him? Unfiltered. It's amusing, it moves, and somewhat to my surprise, I liked it. Wow, where's your big red suit and beard, Santa? You just gave them a gift. You didn't like this movie? No. You didn't like little Norman Gold? No, I didn't think you didn't like Norman Gold? No, I didn't think he was a particularly charismatic actor or a very good actor, and I think Burt Reynolds is even worse. In the 1970s, two fascinating Chicago men changed the course of film critics everywhere forever with their iconic TV show, which had different titles, by the way. Boy, this is right in my wheelhouse. Now a new book released this week captures the the behind-the-scenes story and relationship of Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. It's called Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Change Movies Forever. Here's the author, Matt Singer. Matt, welcome to Unfiltered. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to have you. You spent many years reviewing films yourself, in different yes. manners. You grew mm-hmm. up watching these guys like I did with their thumbs up and thumbs down. How would you characterize your relationship growing up with Siskel and Ebert? Uh, 
obsessive but one-sided i guess uh they didn't know about me but i certainly knew and was endlessly fascinated with them um by the age of like 13 it was one of my favorite shows if not my favorite show that was on tv and would watch it every week which was not easy to do back then i mean you can forget about the whole that we now live in an on-demand world where i could watch you know, a hundred episodes of Seinfeld at yeah, the, the touch yeah. of a button. If I want, there yeah. was none of that. Yeah. And it was a syndicated show, which meant it could change one week to the next. You never right. knew when it was going to be on because right. whoever bought the rights in your little town. Yeah which for me was in suburban New Jersey, they could just put it on whenever. And they did. I can, I know they did. Cause I was trying, you know, to find it and it would be on at weird oh. hours and you had to seek it out. But I stuck with it. Cause there was something about this show that I just, I loved even as a kid, even before I really even was that interested in movies. This was the show that got me interested in movies. It's crazy. Two guys sitting in sweaters in a yep. balcony of an old-fashioned-looking theater. They didn't really look like people that should be on television. Uh, you said something about it, and I agree, something about it. And people in our audience that are old enough are, like, shaking their heads. Yes, Mitch. Yes, Matt. So there was some, What was it? Was it the relationship between the two of them? He, I mean, they would review movies I have never heard of. I had never heard of at the time. I had no interest in seeing. I was a kid. I, I probably have never heard of them now, but yet watching these two guys sit there and talk on PBS and then syndicated was crazy. Why was it so obsessive? I that's I mean, it is a really good question because I, I, I don't have like an immediate obvious answer, but I've been thinking about it because I'm talking about it now. Like, what was it that? captivated my like I said I was not a super movie nerd like if anything I was more into like Spider-Man comic books at the yeah, time yeah, yeah so it was so it was them I think the you know you mentioned they didn't look like other people on TV I think that was a big part of it for me at that age because look at 13 I ain't exactly an Adonis now but uh <laughs> I was about as awkward as a human being who has ever existed when I was that age yeah and I don't mean this to, to insult poor Gene and Roger, but they weren't exactly hunks no. and glamorous television stars. No. And so you flip on the TV and here are these two guys, yeah. as you said, in V-neck sweaters and button down shirts and maybe a blazer. Uh, they wear the same outfit every week for a year. <laughs> like they only have one outfit. And there was something about that that spoke to me. It was like, look at these guys. I and know. they're talking about movies. And this is a show. Oh, um. You know, I, I think that something about that really it caught people's eyes because yeah. they did not look like they belonged on television. And especially in the beginning, they did not belong on television and they knew they didn't belong on television. But that, I think, was a, uh, they worked it to their advantage because you could tell these guys didn't get this job because they were gorgeous and they looked good. You know what I mean? They were yeah. there because they yeah. knew their stuff. Who were these guys? Two film critics, rival newspapers put together in sort of an awkward fashion, as you've described. Who were they? Who were Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel? Well, I mean, yeah, they were originally newspaper film critics in Chicago. They were working for competing newspapers. Siskel was at the Tribune. He started there in 69. And Ebert was at the Sun-Times. He started there in 67, so a couple years earlier. Mm -hmm. But they were both young guys, like in their 20s when they started. And they did kind of come up together and even though they were working as, I guess you could say, colleagues or peers from 69 until 1975 when the show started, they didn't really 
talk. They never hung out. They really hated each other for that period, especially. They considered each other basically like hated enemies, even more than competitors. And they looked at their jobs as to beat the other guy in their newspaper, get the best scoops, get the best interviews, write the best reviews, um, get the most attention on their newspaper as possible. And then they were put together by the TV station uh, in Chicago, the PBS station, WTTW. They had the idea to do a movie review show, and they were the ones who said, well, maybe we can get Roger Ebert, who had won a Pulitzer, and Siskel, who was already doing TV for the local CBS station and was well-known as a film critic in town. Maybe we can get these guys to do it together. Right, right. And they didn't want to do it together. They would have rather done it with anyone else, but they wanted to do the show, and so they reluctantly agreed to do it together. And in the beginning, it did not work very well and they didn't get along. And over time, they figured it out. So I'm a bit skeptical. I think the uh, the storyline of them hating each other, I mean, hating each other adds to the story. Mm. So uh, is it a little exaggerated? You write that they they fought about the movies that they would review. They fought about who got a chance to read the opening remarks to introduce them. They fought about everything. They hated each other. Is that legitimate? I mean, at some point, they became great friends, but... Well, at some point, they became friends. Did they ever become great friends? Uh, the people I spoke to said, no, not really. really. And when you, you know, and I did a ton of research because they're no longer with us right. to get their quotes. And that was a question they were asked all the time. Do you really hate each other? By the ends of their careers into the 1990s, no, they didn't hate each other. But they never became besties. They weren't like, you know, filming the show and then going out for a burger. Right. That was never their relationship. And in the beginning, they really did not like each other. They were honest, perhaps to a fault, especially Gene Siskel. If they if, if it was a put on, they would have said so. They okay. said they authentically okay. did not like each other. What happened was over time, yeah. they got really good at the show. The show got big. They came to see they had something going and they needed each other. They needed and each they, other. and they needed each other. And it was a great professional relationship right they did soften and come to like and yeah maybe even love each other in that sibling sort of way where you you know like i have two little kids they love each other and they will fight practically to the death about something that they perceive in the same way that people tell me stories about gene and roger that are in the book so similar to the way my kids act where if one thinks the other is getting anything that they are not getting wait let me see how many m&ms you just gave my yeah, sister yeah. you gave her seven and you gave me six yeah yeah give me another m&m that's the sort of like you hear the stories and they're in the book like that's the kind of relationship they had even when they were getting along better well going back to the question of what was it about the show one of the great things about the show is both of them would get pissy matt they would, and they would get pissy on TV, on national television. they get pissy, and you could feel it. It was almost uncomfortable, but great. Yes. You, you, you wrote in your book about one specific episode that you love the most, where they reviewed two films none of us have ever heard of, <laughs> Stella and Men Don't Leave. Tell our audience that story. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't heard of them either. I mean, it's not just you. It's not just the people listening. I... I had no idea, but I'm watching hundreds of episodes as research for the book and come across this one. And this was this during the episode, uh, Siskel says something along the lines of if they ever preserve one episode of the show for posterity, this should be it. These two random movies that no one 
had heard of then or now or in the future. Right. But it's because they're very similar movies. They're both kind of melodramas, uh, what used to be called women's pictures, yeah. uh, weepies, uh, you know, that sort of movie. And Roger liked one and Gene liked the other. And they had totally different reactions to these two movies and they fought bitterly about it. Mm -hmm. And if you watch them both, you'd go, well, they're not that different. They're kind of the same movie, (laughs) but they could have such such strong, intense reactions to the same movie in such different ways that that really was part of the secret sauce was that they did not see even movies that we you know, consider great the the masterpieces of that era. Sometimes they both hated them. Sometimes one hated it. And, you know, they could even fight about a movie they agreed about, you know, like if they both gave thumbs up to Wall Street, then they could spend five minutes arguing about why it was good yeah. and having totally different explanations. Well, this Michael Douglas is the best part. I thought Michael Douglas wasn't that great. I like Charlie Sheen. Oh, I thought it was a really good movie about like Wall Street culture. You you really thought that? I don't think it has anything to do with Wall Street. It's mm-hmm. not about that at all. So they could fight and argue in a very entertaining way about almost anything. And you're right. It did sometimes come close to uncomfortable, but they had that way of finding just the right level where they never really went over that edge. They went right up to the edge of, wow, this is uncomfortable, but they never quite crossed over. It was always sort of enjoyable to watch that. And while all of us in whatever business and whatever field that we're in, try to reinvent the wheel and come up with some complicated form of success, They had, Matt, thumbs up and thumbs down. It was a simple... They didn't even do two stars, three stars, fives. They did thumbs up and thumbs down. The simplicity of that added to the whole success of the hit. That's right. Yeah, and actually, you know, they when they wrote reviews in their newspapers, they would use stars. But um, the people on television who they were working for, the producers, were saying that's it's too complicated. And it, it, you know, for. uh, Yeah. yeah. And originally, they actually had a rating system before that with yeses and nos. The original rating system was yeses and nos, which is also very, very simplistic, but doesn't have quite the same ring as the thumbs. And then when they left to go to syndication, they couldn't take. Yes and no with them. Apparently, yes is a potentially copyrightable word. And they had to come up with a new rating, but they needed something just as kind of simple and snappy. And that's when the thumbs were created. And yeah, I mean, it, it, in its simplicity, it, it doesn't get much better than that. I don't know that the younger part of our audience that don't remember Siskel and Ebert can fathom how these guys went from PBS to become big Big, these were big stars to get ready for the interview with you. I watched that marquee moment on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where Siskel and Ebert are sitting there with Chevy Chase. Do you write about that in the book? Is that absolutely that's, oh, a, yeah, that's, that's a big moment in their in their careers, right there, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the the, the episode you're talking about, Chevy Chase is there to promote his new movie, Three Amigos. Yeah. And he does his interview. And then, you know, it's the Tonight Show. The the, the guests stick around on yeah. the couch. Yeah. Siskel and Ebert come out <laughs> and Johnny asks them, you know, like, what's the I, I hate to be mean, but like, what is the what's the is there any bad Christmas movie this season? And Roger doesn't hesitate. He just says, I, I can't recommend Three Amigos. And Chevy, <laughs> Chevy Chase is sitting literally right next to him. And the audience is understandably like aghast, but he doesn't back down. And, you know, they turn it into 
great television. Chevy makes oh. some jokes. He kind of does his old SNL routine where he would kind of do the like it doesn't work in podcasts, but he would while Roger is talking, he would lean back and he would kind of make fun of the way he yes. mimic the way he was talking and yes. gets huge laughs that way. Yes, that was something that they did on those shows that nobody else would have done. And I don't think today like who today would go on a talk show and say about the person who had just preceded them. <laughs> and their is, movie and sucks is, and is sitting and right is sitting <laughs> right next to them and say that movie is bad. You shouldn't go see it. No you didn't do a good job. I mean, that was something. Re- I mean, when you go like, well, why were they so big and popular, especially on those shows? That's it. They yeah. did something nobody else did on those shows. Matt, you know, as you're talking, I never really thought of it because I was a kid when I was watching them. But actors, directors, film companies must have routinely gotten mad at these guys because they very much had a hand in the success or lack thereof of a certain film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a double-edged sword, right? Because if they liked their movie, they could really help their movies, right? Because yeah. a two thumbs up was a valuable thing to have in a in a TV ad or a newspaper ad. I mean, that was in their day. That was a, you saw that in every any movie they gave two thumbs up. That was going to show up in the ads for that movie. The flip side was if they didn't like it and they gave it two thumbs down, that, that didn't wasn't show up in the ad. <laughs> no, not too often. There's a famous story of David Lynch when he made Lost Highway, which they gave two thumbs down. He decided to, to put, put it in. in the two thumbs down was in the <laughs> newspaper ad and it worked. It got a lot of attention for the movie. It was very uh, clever to do that. But that was a exception to the rule. Yeah. Yes. They the, I would say that the the studios, filmmakers, they could have a I would say a complicated relationship. Right. Because, yeah, if they're saying bad things that's frustrating and there are examples of the studios getting so fed up with them they tried to ban them from seeing their movies <laughs> that did happen but on the other hand yeah. there was always the possibility they were going to like the next movie the next one. right the next and one. that was valuable and yeah. so that kind of you had to Ooh. sort of keep in their good graces that for that reason matt these two guys died semi-young i would say after both of them had horrific bouts with cancer Siskel brain cancer. He died in his 50s. Uh, Ebert thyroid cancer. He died, I think, at 70. Mm -hmm. So uh, they both went out in similar fashions. Well, cause wise, yes, it was the the thing that was different was sort of how they dealt with it and how they sort of talked about it. Yes, Siskel Siskel kept his illness from very secret. Yes, from from basically everyone outside his family. And that's, uh, you know, that's definitely both. All of this is in the book for sure. Like he was uh, this, uh, I I would say, a great journalist and a great interviewer. He would ask tough questions. He would be the guy who would be happy to say to Chevy Chase or anyone else, I didn't like your movie to their face. But he was a very private person about his own life. And when he got sick, you know, people knew he was he had had an illness, but the extent of it, he kept totally secret, including from the people who worked on Siskel and Ebert up to and including Roger Ebert, like um, towards the very end of his life, he announced he was taking a break from the show. This was in like early 1999, said he would he was recovering and he would come back at the start of the next season. And he passed away like less than a month later. That was kind of a cover. He did not want people to know, including Roger, which his uh, Roger's widow, Chaz, told me he was devastated about that, that he didn't know and he wasn't told. And I think uh, most people agree that that really affected Roger. And then when he got ill, he had the total different approach to it where Mm -hmm. he talked about it and he told people 
how he was doing and what was happening. And, you know, then he lost the ability to speak eventually. And I suppose he could have receded from public life and not gone out and not done as much. And he did the opposite. He wrote more. He wrote hundreds of pieces a year after he lost the ability to speak. And he produced a new version of uh, was then known as at the movies. Eber presents at the movies. Mm-hmm. So he kept himself out there. He there was a, there's a memoir about him and then a movie about the memoir life itself where you see him struggling with cancer. Very different. I mean, yeah. they were so different in so many ways. Yeah. But that really was a very, very striking difference between the two of them. The name of the book is Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Change Movies Forever. The name of the author is Matt Singer. He's with us. Did I see you say in an interview that you were scared to write this book and you had to be convinced by your wife? Why? <laughs> What, what happened? Well, I mean, we established, well, how did I describe it? An obsessive one-way relationship yeah, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, this, and that's not an exaggeration, the effect that this show had on me. I have no idea what I would be doing with my life if not for the show. Probably I would be an accountant or something. I don't know. But very boring. I always would have wanted to read a book about the show. And I've written a couple of other books. And when I, it came time to write something new, like this is something I would want to do. But I was totally intimidated because I didn't want to screw it up for one thing. And for another thing, I'm writing about two writers who were pretty darn good at what they did. So you're inviting comparisons that I don't think I want. <laughs> I don't really want to have happen. So it's it's, it's a it's a big job and and an intimidating one. And it was yes, it was my wife who uh, talked me into it because I kind of before I sent my list of ideas to my literary agent, I showed them to her and she was like, why isn't Siskel and Ebert on here? And uh, I was like, I said, I, what, what if I screw it up? That's I don't know. I don't I don't know if I can pull it off. And she's like, just get over yourself. Like, obviously, <laughs> you can pull it off. Come on. And she said, if and and if you don't write it, you are going to be so pissed off if someone else does. And you didn't. And you missed your chance. You're going to be so angry about it. And I was like, darn it, she is <laughs> again, she's right again. Again. She is absolutely right about that. Again. So, and and that was it. And how that many was, hours? The launch. How many hours of uh, Siskel and Ebert did you rewatch to write the book? <laughs> uh, almost all of them. You know, like as many as humanly possible. It was the kind of thing. How where, many shows? You know, how many shows did they do? Together? Well, they were on for almost twenty-five years, and they would make you know forty to four, fifty episodes oh every my year. God. Half hour episodes. So and the vast majority are online on YouTube, on websites, SiskelEbert.org. You can find a lot of like home VHS tapes that people made of the show. And, you know, I have a day job, so I would work my day job. The kids come home, get them fed, go to bed. My wife is a teacher. She goes to bed early. So after she would go to bed. It was me. The the late night obsessive one dimensional relationship started again. I was watching two, three, four hours every night of the show, kind of going in chronological order to see everything as best I could and kind of really re-ingested and 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 just kind of see. I, I just didn't I certainly most of it didn't wind up in the book in terms of the sheer details, but I wanted to get all the best and most interesting and so, things. I didn't want to miss anything. And so what's your favorite? What's your favorite moment? Not favorite show, but is there a favorite moment where one looks at the other, one makes fun of the other's weight, the other, is there a favorite scene? 
of a Siskel and Ebert? I I don't know. It's 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 hard. I mean, I did really like as much as the when they get in get go at each other is really great. I also really loved when I was watching hundreds of episodes. I loved when they would review a movie that I hadn't seen or had never even heard of that they really liked, and that was kind of a fun surprise. Was how many movies that Siskel and Ebert gave two thumbs up that are not now considered master they're not hoop dreams they're not pulp fiction they're not uh, do the right thing they're not the classics that we think of and that's how there's an appendix in the book of the 25 buried treasures which is a name of a show they used to do uh-huh. sort of forgotten movies that they loved that people don't talk about but are really great and they're worth seeking out and that was maybe my favorite part was when they would talk about a movie that i had never even heard of and then i would watch it and go this is a great movie. They were right. Why isn't this a really famous movie? It should be. Mm-hmm. And so that was the uh, inspiration for that part of the book, mm-hmm. kind of trying to put a little of that excitement that I felt as a kid about discovering movies through the show, putting that into the book if I could. Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Eber Change Movies Forever Through the Eyes of Author Matt Singer. Matt, thank you so much for our time together on Mitch Unfiltered. Oh, it was my pleasure. I, as you can see, I could talk about Siskel and Ebert all day, every day. Any excuse to do it is, is a good excuse, so thanks for having me. Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question, how do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John? It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on that? Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do mm-hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and we'll get that taken care of for you. Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one? To be honest, yes, I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room. We can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available. So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. Uh, I love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. You'd be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. could be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com? She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand... There's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz 
is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay, I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that traded attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Mm -hmm. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down 1%? I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm -hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31, I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. Oh, no. <laughs> so you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the if the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. So I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 260. The Seahawks win on Sunday, barely get a late touchdown on a questionable non-call. Should it have been holding? Should it not have been holding? Hotshot says it was holding. Pete Carroll says it was perfectly played (laughs) just the way we teach it. (laughs) Right. Uh, By DK Metcalf. Seahawks win. He actually might be right, judging by all the penalties they have. (laughs) Seahawks at the moment before Monday Night Football are 5-2. and And sole owners of first place in the NFC West and the number two overall seed in the NFC. Right now, if the season started as we're recording this right now, the Eagles would have the bye and the Seahawks would be the number two seed playing the last playoff team, the seventh seed in the uh, wild card standings. Boy, it's fun watching the Niners lose. It really is. I mean, is, is is the sophomore slump a thing with their quarterback, Purdy? I mean, is it? Well, I don't know he, that he's he playing healthy, well. but boy, he got, he got shellacked pretty good yeah. against the Bengals on Sunday. I had that on one of the other on one of the other screens. But this is the other stuff segment. It is. Yes. Would you, you like to start or do you want me to start? The college football fan who rocked a giant penis costume to the Sam Houston State football game I this did week. not see the giant <laughs> oh, penis man. costume. But, but after you tell me about the giant, yeah. giant penis costume, I'm going to tell you what my favorite sports costumes that I saw on Twitter 
over the weekend. I'll give you one, but go ahead. The fan clearly in the Halloween spirit. He wore his getup at the at, at the Elliott T. Bauer Stadium for the Bearcats versus UTEP Miners game in Texas. And a spectator in the stands captured him on video. Huge pecker and all. And of course... Oh, the package wouldn't be complete without two big balls dragging by oh, his God. feet. Yeah, Dad, the, as if we couldn't tell what it was anyway. <laughs> School officials were none too pleased Jeez. about the stunt, and they dispatched a security guard to lead the penis out of his seat. And he was given a choice. Remove the costume. Yes. And stay at the game. Yes. Or get the hell out of here with your penis costume. And it's unclear what he chose to do. But well, I, think I haven't seen that costume. So funny. There's video if anyone wants I, to see I, it. I, I don't know whether you've seen the costume. And this is not going to resonate with you if you haven't seen it okay it's making the picture is making the rounds some guy and i don't even know where he is dressed up as randy johnson i haven't seen that randy johnson in the old arizona diamondbacks uniform yeah yeah he's got the mustache and the whole thing and his girlfriend yeah. is the bird oh no randy <laughs> oh god that You've is not awesome. seen that picture. No. Oh my God. Very funny. They went as Randy Johnson and the, you remember the bird? Of that, course. Oh my God. I felt so sorry for that poor bird. Probably just trying to get a worm and oh bam. Oh my God. She dressed up. She's got like feathers going everywhere. Amazing. That's and he great. dressed up as Randy Johnson. That's my favorite sports costume. It's a movie. great idea. Will the Seahawks make a trade before the Halloween deadline? I don't know when people are listening to this. If you're listening to this on Monday, it's tomorrow, and if you're listening to this on Tuesday, it's today. <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you can fast forward because you know the answer already. Right. <laughs> we, as, at the time that we're recording this, don't know the answer, but I'm going to offer you a prediction. Okay. I believe they're going to make a trade. Really? I believe that John Schneider is going to look at this team, and Pete Carroll is going to look at this team and have a similar phenomenon than I have, which is something different is going on here. It's been years since we had a team that was on the ascension, on the way up yeah. defensively. And now we've lost Nuosu for the season. I'm not sure they entirely trust Daryl Taylor and Frank Clark. I know they brought in Frank Clark. Yeah. Looked like an old man chasing the guy down the sidelines early in well, the first half. I hate to break it to you, but um, he is. Okay. <laughs> I think they're going to make a trade. I don't know anything. Don't ask me if I've got birdies. I don't have birdies. Okay. This isn't inside information. I'm going to go on record as saying before the deadline, they're going to bring in a defensive edge type of player. Let me give you three categories. Yes. Blockbuster, interesting, or eh, what What kind of trade are they going to make? I mean, are they going to swing for the fences and bring uh, I th in? I think it will be in the middle section, but that's an easy prediction to make. You always take the, you always take B, don't you? Yeah, well, if, it's, uh, if there's four, B. you take C, but yes. Blockbuster, you know, blockbuster to me implies... Huge compensation. Yeah. Um, there are some guys I've just been reading, and one of the reasons that I, one of the things that have framed my prediction is I've been reading the last week or so about guys that are available at the right price from other teams. Okay. And there is a list of edge type of defensive players, young edge type of defensive players okay. that for the right price could be had. Hmm. Now, in those same articles, everybody's saying, the Seahawks will probably stand pat. The Seahawks will probably stand pat. The Seahawks probably won't want to give the draft compensation that you might have to give for one of these guys. So I'm going a little bit against the tide on this. I think something's going to get done. Nothing on offense. They're going to make a move on defense. I don't know on offense. I just think they're going to make a move on defense. I think wow. they're going to bring somebody in Okay. on on defense. I hope you're right. A happy belated 38th birthday to your dear friend, Sierra. Oh, 
It's her birthday. Did you see how they celebrated? <laughs> no. You did not see how Russell oh. Wilson, what Russell Wilson did for his baby, his uh, 38-year-old baby. Is she 38? She's 38 years old. Okay. She was on October the 25th anyway. Yeah. That was her birthday. What does your husband get for you on your 38th birthday, you ask? He rented out an entire Waffle House, hmm. a favorite spot of hers to celebrate this past Thursday with all their friends and family. Six people were there. Um, <laughs> and they couldn't stay over. Oh, my God, babe. This is like this is like next level. I'm the happiest girl in the world. Sierra's growing baby bump, which Wilson joked was the reason for the occasion. I know that pregnant belly wants some waffles and eggs. Apparently, she loves waffles. She loves eggs. She loves Waffle House. I have a hard time believing that they run around going to Waffle Houses. I've never been to a Waffle House. Have you ever been to a Waffle House? Two summers ago in North Carolina. I've never been to a Waffle House. Wildly disappointed. <laughs> it was really bad. Like I was excited to go. Like I've heard of this. I was mostly excited to see a fist fight, which typically takes place in one of them, but I didn't see that. It was during the day. Did you expect to see Russell Wilson and Sierra sitting uh, there at the counter? I made a list of 400,000 people I expected to see there. They were not on that list of 400,000 people. Okay. No, they were way down there. Well, this is what he did. In Denver, before wow. he celebrated by beating the Chiefs yeah. on Sunday in his biggest win as a Denver Bronco quarterback, yep. he rented out an entire Waffle House for his baby, 38-year-old Sierra. Aren't we just your average people? Aren't we normal? We aren't aren't we just the everyday person love who loves waffle cheap houses. waffles and eggs? I don't know. That bullshit. God, they, <laughs> everything he does, just uh, maybe she does love it. It just seems so phony, everything uh, they do. But yeah, I went to the Waffle House. I was like, this is it, huh? It's I've never fine. And I know there's a billion of them in Florida where I grew up, but yeah. I don't ever remember seeing one around where I lived, and I, I don't remember ever going to one. I may have. Maybe I went to one in Augusta, Georgia once. I feel like maybe I was at one in Augusta, Georgia outside hmm. outside of the the Masters one time. It serves a time and purpose and place. If you're hungover, it's probably is it like awesome. Denny's? Is that what it is? Yeah-ish. Not not quite as extensive. Which do you like better? You like a nice Denny's Grand Slam breakfast? I've been to the Denny's a billion times. I went to... Denny's in Anaheim like five years ago for breakfast. Yes. And I was so pissed off after I paid for it because it was shit. Really? It was terrible. It was just awful. Bland. Have I ever I told like, you about oh. Max getting off the plane? No. Going to Denny's? I never told you this story? No, no. Go ahead. I don't know. We're probably, we're probably digressing here. But the first time that Max ever got on a plane by himself, he was like, I don't know, 11, 10, 12. He flew across the country from D.C. from my my wife's parents place to me and I was picking him up on the other side. He yeah. got on the plane wow. by himself, flew across the country. I don't know, 10 or 11. That's I pick young. him up late at night, SeaTac airport. He comes right out. He's, Hey dad, you know, <laughs> sits down in the car. Hey, let's go get something to eat. <laughs> what time is it? Like at it's night? It's like it's 11 o'clock on a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. He's got school the next day. He's just feeling very independent and very grown up. Sure. Yeah. Right? yeah. Cause he just flew across the country on his own. He's like 11 years old. I said, well, there's not many places open at 11 o'clock on like a Tuesday night or Wednesday night. He says, let's just stop off at the Denny's over there on 405, off of 405 <laughs> he knows. in Renton. He knows all the spots. Well, on the way, hey, there's a Denny's. Let's go over there. I said, all right, all right. We stop up. Do you know the Denny's? It's not there anymore. It's, it was, was it right kind on. of by the Seahawks? Yeah, right near, the, right near the Seahawks. Yep, I know exactly. Right we get off the, the thing. We go into the... I've never told you this story. No. I said, I'll have, uh, you know, two poached eggs, a little whole wheat toast and whatever. I'll have the tilapia. <laughs> the tilapia? What? Really? Did Max he eat it? Goes, I'll have the tilapia, Dad. <laughs> of all the things. I was waiting for like pancakes with whipped cream and sprinkles. And, and I think I heard server, I guess it's not waitress anymore. I think I heard the server say, 
on the way in, on the way back to the kitchen. The first time we had the tilapia <laughs> ordered here, there's tilapia on the menu. I can't believe there he is. O- he ordered tilapia at Den- Denny's. And he lived to talk about he, it to this day. And he's eating he it. He's eating it. We're sitting at the counter. He's eating the tilapia. And he's like, this is delicious. <laughs> 11 years old. Oh, that's amazing. Gets off a plane and goes straight to Denny's for the tilapia. Uh, what else doesn't? would you do? That's right. All right. All right. So apparently, everybody, it is true. Yes. A 64-year-old woman in Taiwan heard clicking and rustling sounds for several days in her ear. It turned out there was a small spider in her ear canal, doctors said. Oh, no. You remember hearing that urban legend about yeah, that the, they'll, they'll have they'll hatch and the eggs, eggs come yeah. flying out of your thing? Yeah, and then all of a sudden there's 27 spiders oh, in, your, God. in your forehead or she, something. Yeah, that's right. She complained of feeling a movement inside her ear as well as, I hate the clicking and rustling sounds. Ugh. Prevented her from sleeping for several nights, and they used the suction tube to get the oh spider God. and its exoskeleton out. It was only two to three millimeters, but... Oh, my nightmare. Absolute nightmare. I guess it does happen, everybody. The other nightmare that you've heard is that something comes out of your toilet when you're sitting on the toilet like a snake or the something. The worst. You ever heard that one? There was an iguana in the news <laughs> lately. Some guy found an iguana in there. I'll take an iguana over like I a, just want a, a snake. A snake or an iguana is fine, but I want to see it before I sit down. <laughs> I, I, I now look. <laughs> when I get up at night, I get Check my flashlight on my phone. Yeah, and I, I sit down. I look. Can I do a couple sports ones? Well, I mean, please do. Seem to, I got some sports ones. Um, last week I asked who the fuck was Bad Bunny. <laughs> yeah. This week I asked who the fuck is Blueface the rapper. <laughs> yeah. There's stories about him all the time. I just pass on. I Do go, you know who Blueface? I ain't gonna never... explain who that is to Levy. I just pass on him. Really? I know, I know who he is. Well, yeah. there's a big one in the news, sports news. Matt Stafford's wife is apparently pissed off at Blueface the rapper. Who isn't? Do you know why? No. He had a suite at a recent Rams game. Oh. And he had bikini-clad women dancing throughout the game, and he was throwing dollar bills. They were all throwing dollar bills before he proposed to his fiance the same <laughs> night in the suite. Very romantic. That's exactly the way you propose to your <laughs> fiance. Right. And she's pissed off about it. She says, my nephews who are older have Instagram. I guess these pictures were on Instagram while the game was going on. Oh, he videoed it. There's video of it. On Instagram. Sure, yeah. So the people that were at the game also on their phones on Instagram could see what was going on in the suite. So she says, my nephews who are older have Instagram. They're at the game and they're like, oh my gosh, look what's going on in the stadium. They found it, she said. And my daughters are sitting right next to them. I guess they were in the suite next to them. And the daughters were like, mommy, there's a lot of butts over there. Yeah. I go, butts? What are you talking about? And then I got sent in and it was like, oh my God. So my daughter saw that not okay. And not okay that my nephew saw it either. I'm just a little disappointed. It makes me not want to bring my kids to the game because I'm like, what's going to happen next? So Matt Stafford's <laughs> wife is pissed at whoever this is. Yeah. Blue face the rapper. Yeah, there's a lot of cheeks clapping in that suite. I've seen the know. video. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, you know the story? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I, I, like I said, I was not going to try to explain to you who he I is and the whole is. thing. But I don't know who he is. Yeah, I did actually see the video. But you say that as if you know who he is and you just don't want to explain it to me. Well, I do read TMZ Which, every week, um, so I'm probably more familiar with okay, him than you okay. are. Are you more or less familiar that, with him than than Bad Bunny? <laughs> Which one? Which actually, one do you know more? Well, I've heard of Blueface more than more. Bad Bunny, okay. but you'll be happy to know that his most wanted tour presale opened this week, Bad Bunny. 
Critics are pissed about nosebleed seats reportedly going for 150 to 250 bucks with seats down low going as much as $1,000. Everybody bad wants bunny, Bad Bunny. Depending on the city, of course. And I that, don't know who Bad Bunny That's Ticketmaster, not scalping sites. $1,000. Oh. So be happy you're not a fan. You just save thousands of dollars. Ottawa Senators player in the NHL, Shane Pinto, was suspended for 41 games. Why? No clue. Activities relating to sports wagering, ladies and gentlemen. I could have guessed that. Pinto, you love it. You Pinto love it. Pinto had an online gambling account, which was flagged by the oh, NHL. God, who Unusual activity. He says, quote, I take full responsibility for my actions and look forward to getting back on the ice with my team after 41 games of an 82-game season. Yeah. Uh, it has been announced that he did not make – there's no evidence that Pinto made wagers on NHL games or games – that he played <sighs> in. Tyson Fury has retained his heavyweight championship over the weekend in Saudi Arabia against a guy named Francis Ngannou. He got off the mat and Ngannou knocked him down in the third round. He yeah. got off the mat to win a split decision. And every time I see Tyson Fury, I say to myself, could there be a worse physique on a human being <laughs> that's the heavyweight champion yeah. of the world? I mean, Butterbean, you remember, you talked about Butter. Was it Butterbean sure. that wanted to get you in the ring? No. Who wanted to get you in the ring? Uh, Joe Hip. Joe Hill, oh, that's somebody different. But I went to lunch with Butterbean, so I know who that is. You did? You went to lunch <laughs> As a matter with Butterbean? Of fact, and paid. But yes. Do you yeah. remember his physique? Of course. Well, yeah, he was the king of the four rounders or whatever, but yeah. I'm telling you, his physique is better <laughs> than Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury just looks horrible without his shirt on. Okay, I'm going to say something that you're not... If I took my shirt off right now yeah, and I stood next to Tyson Fury, the yeah. heavyweight champ of the world, yeah. you would say 100 out of 100, Mitch, you look so much better without your shirt off than that guy does. I mean, you remember how like Ken Norton looked? Yeah, I do remember how Ken Like looked. chiseled. I like, also remember how Jerry Cooney looked. Yeah, fine. Yeah. But like those guys used to just be like muscle upon muscle and but zero body fat. And it's not even that. It's not just that he's fat. You got to look at him and you'll understand. Just doughy and No, but it's just no it's, muscle. The proportion is wrong, the ratio of <laughs> okay. where yeah. where he's I mean it's just he looks awful without a shirt on and he's like the the 100 million dollar right heavyweight champ. I mean, I grew up with my heavyweight was Tyson. I mean, Tyson looked like a Greek yes. god the way yes. he was built. And that's well, there that's are, there are a lot of heavyweights that don't look like Tyson or Really a lot? Ken Norton. Yeah, oh yeah. There's a lot of heavyweights, especially heavyweights. I mean, the guys in the smaller division, like the middleweights, they they tend to be more, you know, fit. Yeah. But this guy takes, <laughs> he is the most out of shape looking human being you've ever seen. But he must, he must punch like a, like a donkey kick. I don't know. He must hit hard. Congratulations, uh, Hotshot, to the newest billionaire in America. Yeah, I saw. I, 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 you want to skip over it? I can't say her name. No, I'm not going to say her name. I can't say her All name. All I'll say is there's an article out. She's made her first billion, 400 million. Here's the, the breakdown. 400 million off of music released since 2019. 370 million from ticket sales and merchandise of a recent tour. $120 million off of Spotify and YouTube. 110 million value of homes and 80 million in royalties from music sales, taking her over the $1 billion plateau. I will not mention her name. And you haven't even thrown in what that person will make on the release of her movie that no. is selling out everywhere. Yeah. It's her I tour offered to take the my wife to the mute to the movie. No, the you other didn't. Day. I did. Really? I did. And she passed? She said, no, I don't want to sit there Good and for watch her. her. Good for her. I don't her. want to sit there and watch her. So a billionaire. She's a billionaire. And do I have to see her and Patrick Mahomes' wife like 
hugging and the like like they're high school <sighs> friends like oh i don't it, just move on what's your next a one? high school basketball game <laughs> turned into a violent brawl over the weekend when a referee straight up punched a coach saw, saw the did. highlight yep it went down during a fall league game in corona california at some point in the second half witnesses claim oak hills head coach rob alexander got upset with the the referee, he was kind of a younger guy over his officiating and argument ensued and yeah. the ref clocked him and the coach mm. went down and yeah. he's requested prosecution against the ref and who turned himself in and was charged with battery causing serious bodily injury and assault by means likely to produce great bodily injury. Both felonies, by the way. So the yeah. coach is in good spirits and yeah. is recovering. Okay. Two United Airlines flight attendants have filed a lawsuit Okay, because they were passed over for the plum assignment of working on charter flights for the Los Angeles Dodgers. The uh, the players prefer a certain look. White, young, thin women who are predominantly blonde and blue-eyed. This is what the lawsuit says. Oh, my god. The lawsuit was filed Wednesday in L.A. County Superior Court. Don Todd and Darby Quezada allege harassment and discrimination based on race, national origin, religion, and age in regard to the staffing of United's charter flights for the Dodgers and their treatment by co-workers on those flights. Todd is 50. She's black. Kazada is 44, Mexican, black, and Jewish. According to the lawsuit, Todd and Kazada both have worked for United for more than 15 years, has spent more than a decade trying to join the airline's program that staffs the Dodgers flights because these assignments bring attendance up to three times the compensation oh. of a typical assignment. Plaintiffs had the necessary experience and qualification, the lawsuit says, but their requests were dismissed and rejected because plaintiffs were not white with blue eyes and thin. Now that's their opinion on what the Dodgers <laughs> want, right? Like that's not stated anywhere. Obviously it's 2023. They're just assuming that's what the Dodgers And whenever want. I see a lawsuit like this, I think, Hotshot, how is like Hooters not sued every single day of the week? By who? By women who can't get a job as a as a waitress at Hooters. That might be a little different. I don't know. Isn't it? Isn't there how a does it work? Right to hire, right to fire type thing going on. Why is it different at a restaurant? It's different at a restaurant than it is at a yeah. at an airline company? It's surprising Hooters still exists. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't exist. But oh, I'm sure it does. So just substitute whatever restaurant yeah. that has the great looking servers. There's a couple in downtown with, Bellevue. With Hooters. There's got to be restaurants that hire servers based on their appearance, uh, right? How are yes. they not sued every single yeah. day like United Airlines is being sued? I, I'm just it must asking. be tough to know. prove. I don't know. Maybe it'd be hard to prove that they are only hiring that type. Wasn't there a man that sued because Hooters wouldn't hire him to be a server? I thought there was a guy that tried, but it that didn't work me. out. All right. The that Recording was, that, that Industry Association of America, <laughs> the RIAA to you and I, yes. says this artist has more has sold more single units than anyone ever in history. Really? There's a new champion. Hmm. It ain't the Beatles. It ain't Elvis. It ain't Michael. Who is it? Which artist has sold more single units than anyone ever in history, you won't come up with it, but I will tell you who it is. Go ahead. His name is Drake. Oh, no. Now name one Sad Drake song. I don't like Drake. <laughs> I don't know one song. I, I respect him. I know people How love How do you not know one Drake song? It's funny. You? I work with a young guy who, that's his favorite artist. I said, play me Drake's most popular song. Let me hear it. And I didn't, I didn't recognize, recognize it. it. It's weird. It's shocking that a guy like you, kind of is, musical aficionado, it's would weird. at least know a Drake song. You'd think I would. He's been around a while. I mean, he's not like something new. 
I know. I, I can't. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm mistaken and someone will send me one that everybody knows, but I can't think of one Drake song. The most popular artist of all time, Mm-mm. according to the RIAA. Mm-mm. That's unbelievable. Mm-mm. I, well, I'm not going to be able to help you. Over Michael, the Beatles, Elvis, no. Stones, whoever. No, I just know he's a Toronto Raptors fan and he's annoying. But isn't he, doesn't he kind of go where the wind's blowing with his fanship? No, I think he's a Canadian. A Canuck. He's Canadian, yeah. And I think he likes the Raptors and he's always uh, sitting okay. courtside. He does seem kind of annoying, though, he's, for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, throwing around a celebrity. Anyway, I got I got RIPs. I got five. Okay, did we, did we cover Matthew Perry and how sad that is? Yeah, I guess we kind of did. I was shocked when I saw it. I was like, wow, really? You remember really Sam sad. Kinison, the comedian? Of course. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. So a colossal cocaine user. Like he talked about it. It's out there. Yeah. Drinker, partier, living by the sun on the sunset. He completely sobered up and then got in a head on car accident and died completely sober. And it's just crazy to think like, well, all the drugs he did, y- y- that's yeah. how he goes out. And I thought well, we about don't that with know. Perry we too. don't. Let's hesitate. We don't know that whatever battles he has fought in the past maybe didn't come back and haunt his maybe. body. I mean, yeah. his body's been through a lot. I, I just think, you know, as somebody who on a much smaller scale has gone through my thing, you know, when you see a guy like that who I'm not a huge Friends fan. I didn't watch Friends. I wasn't like a loyal Friends except when Jennifer Aniston was on. Yeah, so, but, so every episode. But, but this guy this guy was obviously a uniquely talented guy. For sure. Big, At the top got, of the world. He got big laughs. He Huge. did on that show, yeah. People loved yep. him. That's right. Loved his character, loved his performance. He did movies. Yep. He did shows. Sure. I think he did theater. Obviously, a tremendously talented human being who also was immensely successful. You know, there's a lot of talented guys out there in that, especially in that field, that just not in the right place at the right time and never get found. He got found. He was big. He was huge. Capitalized on he had it. The, he had the world at his fingertips. And yet, I'm not going to sit here and psychoanalyze him, but obviously he had so many demons yep. and... Addiction's just a mother. It just is. I, I mean, but, but your addiction comes from stuff that you have inside internally that you can't handle. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a reason for addiction. And it's really, to me, a cruel and tragic story that ends and and then it looked like it looked like he did this book tour i don't know if you saw him on tv he i think he did a book recently talking about you know super honest about all of his addictions and his 15 stints in rehab and and all of his problems and it looked like maybe he was getting to the other side of this Mm, yeah right and to die at 54 i mean god i know Hard. And of course, because really I'm sad. me, but my, my hey went right too. Boy, you guys missed out on the billion dollar reunion series you could have done on Netflix or something too, uh, right? Like that's out now. Can't, you know, who wants to watch God. it now without him? So yeah, awful. And I, I saw that Adele dedicated a song to yeah, him. Like in her Vegas show. Adele. Yeah, she like, stopped her show. Yeah. I mean, he affected a lot of people's yeah. lives in a positive 54 way. 54 years old. Did you know who his stepfather was? I had no idea. Yes, I do. The guy from like Dateline NBC or Keith Morrison from Dateline. Dateline, yeah. Yeah. So murder, you say? Well, <laughs> not, not so That's fast. Good. I That's love that guy. He's That's great. Good. Very good. Anyway, Was Matthew Perry 54. Murder I've got a couple day. of others you may or may not know. You yep. won't know the name Bobby Bingo Smith, 77, a small Ford. 
that helped the Cleveland Cavaliers climb from an expansion team to a playoff contender in the 1970s. Okay. He's died at the age of 77. He has his uh, jersey retired or his number retired for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Great nickname. You may not know the name, but you'll know the character Richard Mole, oh. 80, actor oh, best known for playing the bailiff on that show Night Court back 100 years ago. I literally looked him up a year ago. I'm like, is that guy still alive? He was until ah, this week. Yep. Too uh, bad. Nostradamus Bull Shannon was the character's name. Bull. <laughs> Nostradamus, he played yeah. Bull. He got abducted by aliens on the last episode, I Did think. Did he really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Richard Mole, 80 years old, six, a University eight. of California. Yeah, six, eight guy. You remember him at the bald end. Yep. Uh, kind of a goofy character. University of California, Berkeley graduate. Uh, a history major dies at the age of 80. I've got Richard Roundtree at 81, the yeah. ultra cool actor who played John Shaft, the cat that won't cop out when the danger's all about. <laughs> He's so he was awesome. also in the ABC miniseries Roots. Yep. He died at his home in Los Angeles of pancreatic cancer, 81 years old. Who do you have? So I would like to start with the 18 people that are dead this week after the mass shooting in Maine. It's 18 as we record this. I mean, I know there's other people who are injured, but yeah, uh, Robert Card opened fire in a bowling alley in a bar, and the list of victims includes people in their 70s all the way to 14. And just horrible. Just awful. So rest in peace to them. Yep. Georgetown women's basketball head coach yep. Tasha Butts, yep. 41 years old. Fought cancer for a long time. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so rest in peace to Coach Tasha. Headlines? Headlines? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> a charity-run thrift store in Wales is asking supporters to... Stop donating their unused and used sex toys. Uh-oh. They don't want that at the, the thrift store. They don't They don't need those. When I first heard the headline, I was really hoping it was just tongue-in-cheek. A 30-year-old who has made close Jeez. to a million dollars thanks to selling her armpit hair... Oh, God. ...has revealed her social media success has come at a price. The downside, you ask? Turns out it's way tougher to make that armpit fart noise with Harry Pitts. Got to get the right suction. It doesn't work. Former Vice President Mike Pence announced his withdrawal from the 2024 Republican presidential race on Saturday after faring poorly in polls and running low on campaign fun campaign funds. While his wife is reportedly very upset about his decision, man, I wish I was a fly on his head in that house. Scientists make a concerning discovery deep inside a cave that's been <laughs> closed off for decades. Man, I always wonder what happened to Jenna Jameson. And finally, a wedding Jesus. in Bolivia quickly got ugly after the groom's ex reportedly showed up to the wedding and threw excrement on the newly married couple. That's right. Threw poop on them mm. in protest. Mm. But you know how the old saying goes, don't you? Something old, something new, something borrowed, something poo. It's been said many times, yes. The University of Washington will face <laughs> USC in Los Angeles on Saturday. By the way, are they good, USC? They're well, not really they, good, they gave right? Up 49 to Cal? They gave up 49 to Cal. I mean, Notre Dame kicked their ass. I yeah, mean, but is Washington any good? No, they're not any good either. <laughs> so it'll be a good game. <laughs> Washington at USC on Saturday. The Seahawks at the Ravens. Who won again? On Sunday. Very good. So team. we'll have lots to talk about on episode 261, which I promise will be better, especially your headlines. Than this, this show. Kind of hard to improve upon perfection, but we'll see how it goes. Episode 260 is in the books.